Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. My name is David Chen, and I'm old enough to remember when Matrix sequels weren't extremely polarizing and controversial. Wait a second. Wait a joining, minute. <laughs> joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I also want to build a Matrix just to punch Neil Patrick Harris in the face. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Nobody can be told what my Matrix review is. You just have to witness it for yourself. Wow. Witness it? Is that? Couldn't you have said listen, Jeff? That would have been a little bit more appropriate. I thought it was closer to C. C is the quote. I thought witness was closer. Was wasn't actually C because you listen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here. Okay, here, all right, all right. Here I see, right I, there. I see yeah. what you're cooking up. Yeah, yeah. here though. You know. Anyway, anyway, pretty good, pretty good. Also joining us today, he is one of the most prominent matrixologists on the internet, as well as uh, the proprietor and video essayist behind the Patrick H. Willems YouTube channel, Patrick H. Willems. After a year and a half to be going back to where it started. Back to the film cast. <laughs> yes. Nice. Nicely done. Nicely done. You win. You win. Yeah. Welcome I, I, to the show. Yeah. Go guys, I, I had three of these lined up just in case. Oh, yeah. Knowing I was going last. <laughs> yeah. No, dude, that's my that's my life. Uh all every episode I know I go last. I'm like, they're gonna take mine. They're gonna take mine every time. And they never exactly. take mine. This was my first choice though, so I'm very glad that no one took it. Those are, of course, all references to the fact that today on the Filmcast, we'll be reviewing The Matrix Resurrections. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. You can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash film podcast. And I do want to point out that uh, patrons are receiving The Matrix review early. Uh, we don't always get to review movies early and bring them onto the Patreon feed. Uh, and in fact, most of the time we don't. But every now and then, when there's a big movie and we all have a chance to see it before, uh, we like to get you the review early. And that's what we did this week at patreon.com slash film podcast, uh, where you can sign up for stuff like that, as well as ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. We also got some what we've been watching for you and a bunch of other stuff that we want to talk about. But first, let's talk about a couple follow-ups. And I, I actually, you know, even before follow-ups, let, let's start with this caveat. Uh-huh. You know, uh, he, here's how... Let me give you a little insight into how the film cast user runs. A little, little pullback of the curtain of how the film cast user runs, okay? Um, I think this year, uh, I, I would dare say, we've gotten our shit together even more than we have in previous years. Um, so at all. Decided decided <laughs> after about 12 years doing this, that, hey, let's, let's get our shit together. And like, generally now... Um, I'll send the guys a little text like the night before being like, Hey, recapping. Here's what the plan is for the podcast tomorrow. Here's the time we're going to record. Here's what we're going to talk about, blah, 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 blah. And then usually it's very uneventful between that text. And when we actually hop on to the Zencaster, which is where we record the podcast. Uh, so it played out like that. You know, we scheduled the show with Patrick Willems and then I sent out the text and then two hours before we were supposed to start recording, uh, the Slash Filmcast text thread receives a text from Jeffrey Kanata. And uh, Jeff, what wh- what was this, the content of that text? Do you want to fill us in on that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was that I was in the hospital, David. It was mm-hmm. in the I was in the hospital up to about, I don't know, about 15 minutes ago from right now. <laughs> I was in the emergency room. Incredible. Uh, yeah. Incredible. yeah. You had to run out of there. You pulled everything off. You were like, I, I got a I got a podcast. <laughs> I was like, tell me, tell me the, here. Tell me, give me the doctor. I need to I need to give my opinion about Matrix Resurrection. I mean, you, you say that jokingly, like, but I don't I, 
I'm guessing there is at least 0.01% of truth to that, but anyway. Yeah. What, and the what doctor happened? was like, what sir, was sir, a Patreon episode is in danger. We must we we totally must get understand, out. sir. We totally yeah. the Matrix sequel that people have been looking forward to for literal years. <laughs> we'll do our best to get you out of here, yeah. lickety split, Mr. Say Kanata. no more. Say no more. Yeah. So what what happened, Jeff? What happened? Well <laughs> I so I on Thursdays, uh my son Tuesdays and Thursdays, my son has a Taekwondo class. My five year old son has Taekwondo class. Um and I uh I usually I'm not able to take him on Thursdays because I do a different podcast on Thursdays uh, right at his Taekwondo class time. But this Thursday, because of the holiday, I was able to take him. I was so excited. I love taking him. Uh, and because it's so close to the holiday, uh, we were recording on Christmas Eve Eve. Uh, there, he, there was no other students. Usually, you know, there's a few other kids in there taking Taekwondo class. But he got a one-on-one class with his, with his uh, teacher. Amazing. And... Uh, which was awesome for him. Like I, I was, he was going to get all this personal attention. He, he was really excited. And so uh, I'm sitting there watching and uh, about, I don't know, five minutes into his session, he's stretching. He's he, they're, they're doing their warmups. Um, and I start feeling this incredible discomfort <laughs> in my back around mm-hmm. my kidney area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns into, you know, I, and I'm like, oh, th- this isn't good. This is weird. Yeah, this like maybe, does- maybe you, but at this point, like maybe you ate something weird or, you know. Well, yeah. You're, you're you know, or maybe, you know like maybe it's gas. I don't know what it is. You know, who knows what it is. It, right. Whatever. Right. I'm hoping it'll pass quickly. Yeah. I, I certainly don't want to disrupt my son's class here. Right, I don't right, want right. to, you know, I don't want to cause a problem. This is also the story of getting older, right, Jeff? Because oh, you're like, God. every time something new happens, you're like, huh, that's. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. Is this is this, uh, is this permanent? Mean? Basically, the question is like, is this yeah. permanent? Yeah, is, is, this, this, is, permanent? is this is this go to the hospital or is this uh, fifteen minutes from now? I won't even remember it happened. You yeah, know? or is this uh, I'm going to just deal with this for the rest of my life? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I I retweeted a wonderful tweet uh, today. Uh, somebody said somebody wrote out something very similar, which is like, do I have COVID? Is it? Uh, am I? Do I have a, a a cold? Did I just not get enough sleep last night? Am I like that's the thing that's constantly running your through your head? And you're like, what, yeah. what is this thing that right. I'm experiencing? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I'm sitting there and very, very quickly it becomes excruciating and nearly unbearable. I start uh, getting clammy and I and it, the pain moves kind of from my back to my front. And I immediately, because this is the the personal, uh, I guess, worst fear I've always had. Uh, I immediately leapt to, oh my God, I'm having an appendicitis attack. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Um, uh-huh. Because uh, at a very young age, my parents told me about appendicitis and I think it like <laughs> lodged itself in my <laughs> psyche, you know? They, well, they just said, you know, if you ever, they had a, yeah, yeah. they had a friend whose kid got an appendicitis attack at a very young age and didn't know, like didn't tell the parents about it and it became a problem. So they like mm-hmm. sat me down, my sister and I, they sat us down. They were like, you know, if you ever feel pain right here in this area, tell people immediately. So of course, as a kid, I'm like every mm-hmm. minor, you know, <laughs> cramp that you get, it's like, ah, I've and so I remember my dad telling me after, you know, at some point when I was like, do I dad, do I have appendicitis? He goes, you'll know. <laughs> he said, it's not, there's not a mystery. He said, it'll knock you over. It, it'll put you on your knees. And so 
as this pain was swelling and, and getting more and more excruciating, and I'm having this crisis of like, can I make it through my son's lesson mm -hmm. or do I need to seek medical attention immediately? I've um, eventually, as, I, I, as far as I can stand it, I'm, I'm standing up, I'm pacing a little bit. And, you know, my son is, and, and this teacher, yeah. oblivious to what I'm going through. And <laughs> you're, I'm also, like, you're in a quiet room too, right? So you're, you're yeah. kind of like holding it in. You're like, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yep. you know, I'm doing yep. that, that breathing. Thing where you're like, Ooh, <laughs> Ooh, okay, 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 okay. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, and just wondering if it's gonna if it's gonna pass uh, or if it's gonna be a problem. And at a certain point, I realized, no, this is. And I start getting scared. It's appendicitis, and I, mm -hmm. I think this is really bad. And so I say, you know, Master James, who is the 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 teacher of the class, uh, do you have a do you have a bathroom? And he's like, yeah, are you okay? And I was like, I don't think I am. Uh, and um, oh I went into the bathroom, and that is where I had a difficult time standing up. Like oh. I had, I was on the floor of the bathroom, and then I had this wave of nausea. I didn't vomit, but I felt like I might. And I was like, I couldn't stand up because of, of how much pain. And then I knew I was having an appendicitis attack. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So then I'm terrified. So I call my wife. She comes over. Uh, in full like crisis mode she's calling you know our nanny to come back and take the kids and like you know juggling a thousand things long story long uh i get to the uh i get to the uh emergency room i, I walk in and I, the receptionist, you know, I'm like, I can barely walk. My wife's like, can you get a, can you get a wheelchair? I'm like, I don't need a wheelchair. I'm just hurt. It just hurts. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I get into the, to the receptionist who's checking me in and she's like, okay, what's going on? And I explain what happened. And, and I go, I think I'm having an appendicitis attack. And she goes, well, I'm no doctor, but it sounds like a kidney stone. <laughs> which was the first time that I had thought that. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. of course, kidney stones are my other greatest fear in, in the world because I've After always Seinfeld. heard. Yeah. Yeah. I always heard it's like worse than childbirth, you know, like women who've had them and also had kids are like, no childbirth doesn't even compare to having, passing a kidney stone. My dad had kidney stones. He said like, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. That kind of talk, you know, people talk about. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> uh, so I go back, you go into the ER. Uh, they, give me on an IV, give me some pain meds. That's when I text you guys, I'm in the hospital. I don't know if I'm going to make the podcast recording tonight. <laughs> uh, you are facing your own agent Smith. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, like I said, long story long, uh, I got a CT scan. I do have a kidney stone. It is small, three millimeters. There's a threshold over which you have to either have surgery or they have to do some procedure to try to break up the kidney stone. Mine is small enough that it will pass naturally but I'm told it will be utterly excruciating. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was discharged, got home about 15 minutes ago. I said, well, I'm not in pain now. Uh, <laughs> they gave me pain medication through the yeah. IV, uh, you know, um, and uh, I'm just waiting. They said it should, it is close enough to my bladder that it should pass in the next 24 hours. So yeah. all of that long story is to say, if I have to leave abruptly or you hear some screaming yes. from distant, distant pickup on the mic, uh, now you know why. Yes. Uh, well, first of all, very sorry that you're going through that. I do want to make extremely clear that it was Jeff's decision to record tonight. In the, in the sense, I mean, uh, we, all, we all wanted to record, but like... Dave... Dave has certain, <laughs> as, as frequent don't, viewers don't or listeners it, of the show, don't do have it, certain <laughs> mandates, have certain demands. No. 
Okay. The, yes, you can you can joke about that for the limericks, but I I was I think extremely <laughs> understanding. Like we can yes. reschedule, but Jeff is like, you know what? Let's just get her done. I did not. You know, Dave we said, were not, are you, you know, have do you are you having surgery? And I said, <laughs> I said no. He said, then yeah. you do the podcast. <laughs> Your butt is in the seat. <laughs> Are you able to speak? Yes. <laughs> yes, Mr. Chen. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Well, <clears throat> you know, despite what you just said, that's not how it went down. <laughs> we're all very understanding, but we're glad that you're with us, and hopefully you feel better soon. And I'm sorry you had to go through that today. Well, I just hope. I, I'm, I'm v- terrified about the next 24 hours, what they have in store for me. I hope, yeah. I, I hope it doesn't happen. Oh, the other delightful you, uh, detail that you hope everyone it doesn't happen. Is that an option? I hope it doesn't happen during the, the course oh, of this podcast. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other delightful detail that listeners will undoubtedly be sad if I don't mention is I was also sent home with a strainer huh. through which to urinate uh-huh. uh, so as to know when it has passed or not. Ah, uh, so every time you pee for the next 24 hours, you have to use a strainer. Yes, and it is, I can already attest, it is delightful. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, um, you know, a year ago, literally exactly a year ago as we're recording this, uh, my left arm swelled up and I had a deep vein thrombosis and had to spend, you know, almost had to spend Christmas in the ER. Yeah. So no, no fun. And I, I know, uh, you know, what is it about Christmas and film cast guys going to the hospital? I don't know. What so it, what you're saying is Devendra's next. next year, okay? I've yeah. got a, I've got a lot to look forward to. <laughs> Jeff, at some point we have to flash back to your, uh, your health sessions with your dad. Because apparently one sit down was for appendicitis. The other was for, son, let me tell you about kidney stone. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't wish That's him the, on my worst end. That's the Kanata way. That is the Kanata way. Your dad has re-traumatized you multiple times around these oh, health issues. I mean, I haven't eaten beef in uh, over 20 years because my dad had a quadruple bypass. Like, he's, you know, genetics are real, guys. You know, mm-hmm. you, you look mm-hmm. at your dad and you go, that's my future unless I do something different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, well, please send Jeff your well wishes. Jeff, I'm sure we're going to hear about this experience on the socials, uh, but I hope that the next 24 hours... <laughs> you just record every P. Record yeah. every P. Yeah, we could use it. <laughs> well, yeah, you guys, just, it make a tic- just make a TikTok of every urination <laughs> session. You know, that's my Dave, I feel like you in particular... I, I, bl- I may be making this up, but I feel uh-huh. like you've talked about having... Uh, uh, what's the term? Uh nervous pee or uh, 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 unable to pee around strangers Mm -hmm, or whatever mm -hmm. whatever that is. Am I making that up or did you say that? You know, I don't recall saying it, but it sounds like me. It it checks out. (laughs) It It checks out. As as we were roommates, I can't recall ever peeing next to David Chen. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I say that because I, I, I sense that you can imagine when one is anticipating excruciating pain the next time they pee... How difficult the prospect of peeing is. Yes. Like it, maybe it's a perfectly normal pee, but maybe yeah. it's the pee to end all peas. I don't know. And you know what you have to do now, Jeff? You have to carry this forward. You have to explain this to your children. Like when oh, daddy yeah. is screaming, um, this well, is why. I mean, I can't imagine I mean, what it was all, like for your son. Like, I was yeah. just your son's say, having a Taekwondo session, and then yeah. dad starts, like, you know, melting down. I'm like, all jokes you, aside, yeah. it was. It was not great for me. I mean, oh, it was man. the first yeah. time he, I mean, he saw me go through my eye surgery, but he right. was a lot younger and also it was sort of disconnected. That was, this was a moment where like, clearly my wife came in in full emergency mode. He saw his Taekwondo teacher 
put his, you know, my arm around his neck and carry me to the car. Mm. Like he saw daddy. He kept saying in the back seat, like, mommy, is this an emergency? Is this an emergency? Mm. And, uh, and uh, my wife said, you know, I kept saying, daddy's going to be fine. Daddy's gonna be fine. As I was like squirming in the front seat mm -hmm. in, in mm -hmm. pain. Um, so yeah, it was, it, this will be something that he will be dealing yeah. with with his therapist for many years. And your explanation is kidney stone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. wouldn't wish it on my his. worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs> All so right. anyway, welcome to the podcast, Patrick. <laughs> I'm having a, a great time. I mean, uh, Jeff, I am very, very sorry that you're dealing with this, but I will say quite a story. Yes. Well, well done. Well told, Jeff. Well told. I think the moral that we can all take away is uh, drink lots of water. Everybody mm -hmm. drink, mm -hmm. stay hydrated. I I don't do a good enough job of drinking water throughout the day. Um, I you know the, the, I've I, I'm a runner. I've heard that runners get these frequently. I've heard it can be genetic. Obviously, my dad had it, so who knows? But it's wise for anyone to drink more water. Drink you your know? water. Yeah. But you know what? Shout out to uh, Jordan Hoffman in New York, a uh, film critic <laughs> on Twitter. He put up this very this like two minute long uh, video about putting a water cooler in his home office and he's so happy about it. So Jeff, uh, I think you know what you have to do now. Yeah. It sounds like a plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hard to move on from that topic, but, uh, the show must go on. We got a lot of what we've been watching to discuss. Well, I, I gotta say one more thing. Cause the only thing, <laughs> the only thing more excruciating <laughs> mm -hmm. than this kidney stone debacle of my life, mm -hmm. the only thing that has caused more intense, Pain and suffering mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. the last week is the fact that I confused Sir John Gielgud with Sir uh, Sir uh, Lawrence Olivier. Mm -hmm. And uh, on last I, week's I, episode of the podcast, right? Uh, mm. Yes, I told the story of from Marathon Man, and of course, it is Lawrence Olivier that stars in that film alongside Dustin Hoffman, not Sir John Gielgud. I said John Gielgud, and. It, it, I realized it within hours of the <laughs> podcast going up, and it is a terrible, terrible feeling to know that you have this error that has yeah. been sent out to tens of thousands of people, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it for a week, for a week. So I, I, it pains me greatly to, uh, to say that, yes, I know it was Olivier in Marathon Man. I said Gil Good. I I feel the appropriate level of shame, and I have been duly chastened. Mm -hmm. Thank you, everyone who pointed that out. I appreciate it, uh, and I shall endeavor to be flawless in the future. I'm, Patrick I'm H. Sorry, Willems, uh, yeah. you, you you create content for uh, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people. You ever had a mistake go out that you're like, ooh, can't believe that got away from me? Uh, once or twice, um, I will say, uh, as someone who works in a visual medium, um, I have to deal with something you guys don't, which is typos mm. uh, <laughs> oh, that yes. cannot be corrected ever. And people, you know, everyone seems to think they're the first person to uh, <laughs> notice and point out that typo, and they never are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I know folks genuinely are good natured. They 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 want to be helpful. They they're engaged with the podcast. They listen. They they want to tell you that they noticed that you said the thing wrong. And often people even bring it up in a, a way of like, I know, I know you would want to know, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it, I don't. You know, it's not nobody is being. Uh, mean spirited about it, but uh, yeah, I, I interpreted it very positively. You know, in the sense that like 
I think if people aren't bringing it up, like a mistake like that, there's two yeah. uh, there's two possibilities. They either don't care because they think you know their standards or they think your standards are really low, or there's no one listening to the show. Yeah, right. exactly. And so getting 500 corrections, Jeff, is actually a sign of the show's health. 500 well, people who care. Yeah. What sign yeah. is it that neither of my co-hosts mentioned it? What's what is that a sign of? Uh, it's a sign of nothing. I think yeah. actually, I kind of tune out sometimes. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Devendra is zoning out literally right now. Right now, so. you know, Jeff, uh, <laughs> this is going to be one of our probably our biggest episodes this year. Yes. We've spent twenty minutes on uh, on your your kidney stones. <laughs> Just amazing, amazing yeah. content. Yeah, we're yeah, no, it is, yeah, you're it welcome, is. everybody. It's great. Well, you're on, welcome. on that on that note, okay, uh, this is episode six hundred fifty of the filmcast. Wow. Um, and a big number. It's a big number. number. It's yeah. also the last episode we will be recording in 2021. And I do just <laughs> want to say it's been a really, uh, when I think of, you know, life in 2021, it's definitely had its fucking ups and downs. I'm going to put it put it out there, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I think that I have a lot of positive associations with the film cast, um, specifically with all the folks at patreon.com slash film podcast who kind of as far as I can tell, rallied together and said, we want this podcast to continue no matter what. Yeah. And that is what's going to happen. And I think like, I'm going to say, I, I'm just putting out there. I think we've had our best year ever when it comes to the quality of, of shows we put out there this year. Um, yeah. And I'm very proud of sure. it. So it's been a great I year. We had yeah. Not just the best year ever, but the last 20 minutes have been the best. ever. <laughs> yeah. This, this episode really encapsulates the high bar we have set oh, yes. in 2021. Oh, yes. No, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Well, guys, so. don't don't speak too soon because I haven't... This is my first time on this year, and I could mm-hmm. tank it real hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a reason I put this announcement up top, you know, because right. it's all downhill from here. So, uh, anyway, uh, so thank you all. Uh, listeners, patrons, whoever you are, however you're consuming this, uh, thank you for listening and for making 2021 despite everything that's going on in the world, a really great year for the podcast. We really appreciate it. On that note of patrons, by the way, I do want to mention that uh, the After Dark this week, uh, we got a lot of follow-ups on Spider-Man No Way Home. We, we had a, a really nice review of Spider-Man No Way Home, fun review with Dan Gvozdin, but there was many things we didn't get to or things that people were reacting to from our review. Um, and so our After Dark this week at patreon.com slash filmpodcast is going to be basically all Spider-Man No Way Home After Dark uh follow-up material uh so be on the lookout for that if you're a patron again at patreon.com slash film podcast we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor pretty litter when it comes to winter smells there are a lot of great things i can think of i can think of hot cocoa um i don't know a christmas meal a roaring fire uh one thing i don't want to think about though is the smell of a litter box and that's because nobody wants their home to smell like kitty litter especially as it gets colder and we spend more time inside That's why now is the perfect time to switch to Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. And for me, I've used a lot of clay litters and some corn litters, and, you know, they just never really worked as well as Pretty Litter. They always involved lots of scooping and just more odors and the sorts of problems I don't have at all with Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust, and your allergies will thank you. And here's the coolest thing I think there is about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help detect early signs of potential illness in your cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And for me, it's come in handy a couple of times. I was able to diagnose UTIs and bring my cats to the vet like pretty quickly after I noticed those things. Cats tend to hide illnesses, so it's just really useful to have another way to keep an eye on them. 
And another great thing, Pretty Litter ships right to my door, free in a small lightweight bag. I never run out of it, and I don't have a huge container of litter taking up space or stinking up my place. It's really a win-win. So make the switch to Pretty Litter today. It's just good sense. Go to prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST. All right, folks, let's get to what we've been watching. Uh, all right, I had a chance to see House of Gucci, or uh, its actual title is House of Gucci. Wow. <laughs> I thought it was, it was a hate crime. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hate crime. This movie is, is, is trash. I mean... It is tr- extremely pretty trash, but it's basically kind of this uh, highly melodramatic soap opera in which you have tons of Academy Award winning actors speaking in over the top Italian accents. Uh, and so did I like it? No. Was it extremely long? Yes. Would I recommend <laughs> it to people? No. Would I recommend Ridley Scott's other movie this year, The Last Duel, instead? Yes, uh-huh. that movie's amazing. Patrick it, H. Willems. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Did it cause you to do an Italian accent poorly? Yes. <laughs> poorly? I, I, I will I will take that Italian accent I just did and measure it up to the Italian accent of anyone in that film, Jeff. Um, <laughs> but Patrick H. Willems, I believe you've seen this film as well. Uh, what were your thoughts on House of Gucci? Okay, so I, I had a strange experience with House of Gucci, uh, a movie that I, th- I think I enjoyed... Um, so, uh, for reasons I can't explain for the very first time in my life, I got invited to a movie premiere and it was this and, uh, (laughs) to the New York premiere. Not a bad one to be invited to. No, uh, I got the invitation the day before and I was very excited. I like, you know, I like, (laughs) they said to like, you know, dress well for it. And people there were like, really, especially it being this movie, people really made an effort to like wear some interesting clothing. Uh, the thing was, um, I got my booster shot that morning and oh, it boy. kicked in about <laughs> an hour into the movie. And so yeah. I was, I think I was having a, a good time watching it and enjoying like the, the melodrama and the absurd accents and, and all of that. I was really, I was having a good time. And then for the next two and a half or for the next hour and a half, I just I I was just like shivering and feverish and wanted to go to bed so bad, um, and so you know, I, I had the same experience and I didn't have a booster. So whoa, you know, brutal, brutal, joking. David. Uh, so honestly, I've thought I I might watch it again at some point because I just kept even despite enjoying what I what I remember of the movie. I mostly just wanted to. Oh, I then went home and I slept for like I don't know. A day, uh, so yeah, that was my experience with it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Was, was well, there a note, Patrick? Like with your with your invite? Like, did somebody say like you know Ridley really loves Charles? <laughs> you know, like we just we you have a plus one. It is for Charles. He is supposed to sit next to you in a little tuxedo. I wish uh, that would have made me so happy. No, I got it was like a last minute thing. They just said some tickets opened up and. <laughs> Here's one. I I don't know. I'm still wondering why I got invited to that. It makes Amazing. No sense. Do you, I, 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 again, I don't get invited to press screenings. I don't get invited to any of those things. So do you recall? So you had a good time in the hour of the movie that you were completely conscious for, basically. Yes. Yeah. 
I mean, it's a really good looking movie. Ridley Scott knows how to shoot a movie. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and I'm, so I'm, I will say, David, I'm actually I, I I currently decided to embark on a project, which is to finally go through and watch the 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 handful of Ridley Scott movies that I have never seen. I think there mm-hmm. were eight, and I have six left to go. Gotcha. Is was all the money in the world one of those films? <laughs> no, I saw that in theaters. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. There you yeah, go. I I have not yet seen. Uh, Exodus Gods and Kings. Mm. Oh man. Talk about great trailer that led to a nothing movie. Yeah. His, you know, his career's had some ups and downs and I would say here I mean I am encouraged by the fact that this is a movie that is doing well at the box office. It's made over 40 million dollars domestically and that's great. It's great that a movie like this can still make that kind of money, which is an open question right now in, in I Hollywood. I like that that that, yeah. that is now doing well. Yeah, I know, right? Like that 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 is considered excellent for a movie of this kind that doesn't have superheroes in it. Um so that's a bummer, but you know, it's 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 all right and uh it, it has Oscar chances maybe. We'll see, I don't know. Um it's not a movie that I particularly enjoyed. And I, I think if you watch a movie like a show like Succession, you know, Succession blows us out of the water completely. It's a way more interesting um riveting look at the lives of the extremely rich people running a sort of multinational company. Um, so sadly I was not a huge fan of House of Gucci, um, and I, I can't recommend it, but it, I would say if you see this come onto the TV, uh, on HBO max or, you know, whatever streaming service, uh, it, it, it does have its amusements, you know, it is, it is kind of in some ways so bad as good. It's occasionally so bad as good. I, I would say that the problem is that people are acting in two completely different films in this movie. In my mm-hmm. Only two? uh yeah i I mean jared leto's performance in this film i am not exaggerating when i say that his character would basically be at home in an snl sketch version of this movie people Um, just let jared leto do whatever he wants right (laughs) i mean it is like I, i can't even comprehend what was happening with jared leto in this film like it is it is so far outside the realm of whatever the rest of this movie is doing that it it just completely breaks my brain. Um, Patrick, I saw your letterbox mention your letterbox review mentioned Jared Leto. What were your thoughts on Jared Leto's performance? Uh, I believe my letterbox review was I almost fell out of my seat the first time he opened his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just I'm 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 generally generally not a huge Jared Leto fan uh, mm-hmm. in terms of his 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 acting. He usually seems to take himself uh, too too seriously and make choices I'm not really into. Um, I again I can't say if his choices in this movie were good. But uh, he really seems to be having fun playing, you know, ju- just a a a cartoon. A uh, I I I was, you know, I get, can't really speak for quality, but I was delighted every time he was on screen, just because it was so goddamn weird. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Anyway. It's House of Gucci. It's Ridley Scott's newest film. It's in theaters right now. Uh, and those uh, that's one thing I've been watching this week. This is our last episode of 2021. Uh, I know I've been cramming in a lot of movies to try to see if they're going to make my top 10 of the year. Uh, Dark Horse came out of nowhere this year, guys. It's a movie called Boiling Point. You guys huh. ever heard of this movie? Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a one-take, one-shot movie that takes place in a restaurant. And it's basically uncut gems in a restaurant in real time is what it is. 
And that sounds interesting. It's pretty well done in my opinion. And this is the type of story that I always dream about. Like I, I like this kind of story. I like seeing it on screen. I dream about maybe making one of these one day, which is basically like taking a common everyday location, like a restaurant or like a hotel or whatever. Right. And then like, examining the stories of all the people that like go in and out of that place mm-hmm. um and, and like get, you know getting a snapshot and obviously movies like this have been done in the past but this is a particularly interesting version of it because it takes place in real time uh and it's all done in one shot and my conclusion after watching this movie boiling point is uh restaurants are miracles <laughs> the fact that there are places in this world where you can sit down and people bring you a plate of food that has been prepared to you know, to, like beautifully and intricately at like ten minutes prior to your arrival or whatever, it's a miracle that these places exist. It's a miracle that this food is attainable. Uh, and I don't know that this movie is a realistic depiction of what it's like to run a restaurant, but I think it captures at least some of the chaos of what it might be. Um, and the fact that these restaurants, these places, bring together. Uh, people of all different walks of life, like, you know, all the clashing, you know, personalities and so on and so forth. And in many ways, I think you could say like a restaurant is is a metaphor for a, a movie, you know, like making a movie as well, you know, and the fact that like movies exist are miracles. So uh, I really like Boiling Point. It's it's serious contender for my top 10 of the year. Uh, and I think it's kind of this, uh, this amazing examination of what it's like to, uh, to run a restaurant. And I, I'd recommend it. It's available on video demand. You can buy or rent it. Um, the movie is Boiling Point. And I think a listener suggested it to me. So thanks for that. Um, using hashtag slash tag, which you can use to suggest things to us. Okay. Boiling Point, House of Gucci. That's what I've been watching this week. Patrick H. Willems, hit us with a few things you've been watching. Yeah. So um, like you got, I, I, I feel like just everyone who's, who, you know, is a movie fan of any kind is right now frantically just trying to watch everything they can especially now you know there's the whole thing of like you know uh i guess it's (laughs) people might not necessarily be be rushing to theaters the way they might have been a few weeks ago yeah but uh but that and uh but yeah but that aside i've been you know working my way through like a checklist of everything that that i have to see there's still a few things that i didn't get around to yet i still really need to see drive my car uh, which I was hoping to catch before I left New York for for Christmas, but uh, but just recently, uh, a few days ago, I finally got around to seeing Benedetta, which I had a great time with. Uh, have you guys seen it? I have seen it, and it is amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this the the new Paul Verhoeven movie, his first movie, I think, in five years. He's you know he's he's taken his time since he you know, left Hollywood like 20 years ago. And this is, uh, you know, he's also, he's pretty old now. I think he's like, yeah. Over 80. Yeah. I, I kind of want him yeah, to, uh, to, to do the Ridley Scott thing and be like, guys, I, I just need to make as many movies as I can. Please, please. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. can't stop working or like, like I, I, I feel like the moment Ridley Scott, like stops working, like takes a break. Mm-hmm. That's when he'll die. And so he just can't let that happen. Uh, but I gotta say, but yeah, um, Benedetta does, does not feel like a movie made by no. a, a man of that age. It yeah, is, he's, uh, he's 83 years old and yeah, he has not lost a step when it comes to directing yeah. in my opinion. We stand a yeah. king. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I, this is, I feel like in simplest terms, this is, uh, the sexy lesbian nun movie, uh, <laughs> which is kind of reductive because there's a lot more going on than that. Although it, it, that, you know, that's not, not accurate. Right. But, right. uh, it's, uh, but yeah, like while it has all these sort of like, you know, wild lurid stuff you hope for from a Verhoeven movie, like, yes, it has a sword wielding Jesus decapitating people. Uh, go in, on in, yeah. in dream sequences <laughs> uh, early on uh, the the two leads of the movie just uh, sit next to each other pooping loudly <laughs> uh, um, but but it is also a you know a really interesting exploration of like power dynamics uh, in this in this convent um, and th- there's a lot going on it's uh, I, I, I had a great time with it and it also, is not the only movie that will be discussed on this episode featuring one Lambert Wilson. Oh, oh yes. interesting. Okay. Or, or Lambert Wilson. Lambert. Well, that, oh, yeah, no, I see what I see what you did there. Um, but yeah, that's Benedetta. It is available right now on video on demand. I believe you can rent it at home right now. So it's, uh, it's a really remarkable, unique film, unlike any other movie this year. Uh, Patrick, what else have you been watching? Uh, I'm just going to keep the French film train rolling. Do I it. had a uh, a really interesting experience uh, seeing uh, Petite Maman. Now, I'm going to stop you real quick, Patrick, yes. because I'm about to take my earphones out okay. because I don't want to know anything about this movie. Um, okay. Because I've been told that I need to watch it cold. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it is... Uh, go ahead. Actually, you know what, uh, Jeff, you should... You should watch it cold i'm gonna say i'm gonna say basically nothing about it because i did not even know this the the premise yeah, yeah, going I don't in either yeah so yeah. do not give away the premise patrick i, if, I, if I you, won't okay well yeah i'm happy to take my earphones out yeah, you guys you, can talk jeff's gonna take his earphones off just but to be safe i jeff, just want to we talk about west side story okay i will of course <laughs> i i uh i didn't even listen to benedetta to be frank um <laughs> the uh the the only thing i want to say is uh they're not sponsoring this episode but frequent sponsor of our show Mubi. Mm. is a place you can watch uh, Petite Maman. Uh, Excellent. So one of the reasons I'm very excited to watch it is I can watch it through that service at home. Uh, but I just wanted to get, uh, Patrick, you would give it a thumbs up. Do watch the movie. Big thumbs up. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Okay, okay. I'm bowing out and I'll be back <laughs> when you're done. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so I had a, a really interesting experience going to see the new, uh, I believe, is it uh, Celine Sciarma? Uh, Siyama, I believe. Is Siyama? Siyama? Yes. Okay, yes. Celine Siyama. Uh, film Petite Maman. Uh, this is a movie that I knew nothing about other than the fact that it was apparently great and it was 72 minutes long. Heck which yes. is uh, oh, That's the, yeah. That's, it's, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, you know, we're very used to these days, you know, at, at movies that are like two and a half or more uh hours long it's like and, it got uh, longer after the pandemic began it's like movies just have to stick around longer <laughs> i feel so many it's long true now. and yeah. uh i will say like even though during quarantine i was watching a lot of like just hollywood thrillers and dramas from like the late 80s and 90s and i was kind of struck i was like oh wow i a lot of these are over two hours long i assumed that was a more recent development but um, but anyway, this movie is seventy two minutes long, and I discovered that uh, it did get a theatrical release in New York City, and it got the strangest theatrical release I think I've ever seen. 
uh, if, if anyone who follows me on Twitter probably is already aware of this because it was a whole sort of adventure finding out about this movie because, and I believe they did the exact same thing with uh, the worst person in the world. Uh, but I was too late when it came to that. Basically, Petite Maman, a movie that has played at multiple huge international film festivals, has gotten rave reviews, been really acclaimed by the director of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. This is her follow-up film to that. So you'd think something that, especially like the art house crowd, would be hyped for and want to see. Uh, this movie was released in a single theater in New York. And it is not at any of the regular art house theaters. It's not at the Angelica or the IFC or the Film Forum, anything like that. It is released at one theater in East New York, which is at the farthest east end of Brooklyn, like on that, the edge of Queens. Nobody goes there. What? N- not only that, it's at a multiplex. It's just it's like at a suburban multiplex. And this is nothing. This is not a knock on on East New York, East New York, but it's just a place that is it is. It's hard to uh, get to. It's hard to get to. I was yeah. lucky. I happened to live on the one train that goes there, but mostly you need to drive there uh, if you want to see it. It was not advertised at all. I was the only person in the movie theater when I went to see it, and it played for one week. So basically, this movie that, again, is hugely acclaimed, that people love it because it's a wonderful film, is being hidden it's like is this that, that, that's awards el- eligibility right it, it absolutely that? is yeah. uh it, it's like it's like their point is you know meet the bare minimum requirement to qualify for awards in the year 2021 but also let's make sure that n- that none of its intended audience <laughs> actually sees it in theaters right, right. it is being released by movie uh to streaming but it is like i genuinely and I, I know, obviously, especially with movies delayed a year because of the pandemic, the you know the art house like scene is a little crowded right now. But I'm like, the Angelica has been playing Belfast for like months now. Like, surely they could open up a few screenings for this. I, I don't understand. I also haven't said anything about the movie itself because I went in totally cold. I hadn't seen a trailer. I did not know the premise, and uh, I think that's the best way to do it it's just a a really beautiful gentle movie that involves a that's like involves some degree of magical realism and that's all i will say i loved it i recommend it to literally everybody it is also i i, I don't think it's rated but it would be like a pg mm-hmm. it's uh yeah it's great. Yeah. I'm <laughs> really all... excited because it's her next movie after Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I believe we all loved. So, yeah. yeah. I think that yep. was that was maybe my number one. It was in my top mm-hmm. ten for sure that year. It was an incredible movie. Um, but uh, anyway, that's Petite Mama, and it's playing in one theater. Uh, it is being oh, no, distributed no, 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 by... No, no, it's not, not anymore. playing anymore. Oh, it's gone. No. Okay, it's and gone. It's not okay. going to be a movie, movie until February 4th, or according got to it, the schedule. Yeah, so it will yeah. eventually be available. It's being distributed by Neon, so... Um, you will have a chance to see it, but it's uh, pretty hard to see it right now, I think. Um, so Petite Mama, Patrick Willems, hearty recommendation. Uh, check it out. Celine Siama's newest film. Uh, all right, Patrick Willems, you've seen West Side Story. Your thoughts on that movie? Oh, I mean, I've, I've seen it twice. I'm going to see it a third time. It's like one of my three favorite movies of the year. Wow. Uh, I, I like positively levitated while watching it. I I adore it. I'm not, I mean... 
you guys have done an episode on it. Everyone is aware of it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I just, uh, I am uh, very, very, very pro West Side Story. Awesome. All right. Well, those are the what things. Are the, that what are the Patrick other two of your top three movies, though? Yeah, what are the other two? Uh, uh, I, Titan. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Is uh, is 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 up there and uh, basically the two of the exact same movie. Oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm very, I'm yeah, really predictable. I only like one kind of movie, and it's that one. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I and the power of the dog. Oh yeah, great choices. Great Good choices. list. Yeah. All right. Well, those are what Patrick has been watching this week. Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, NordVPN. Do you use a VPN? You should be using a VPN. Why? Oh, man, there's so many reasons. I use a VPN for a number of reasons. First is, boy, if if you're traveling, and, you know, some of us are traveling around these holidays now, uh, you know, be safe, be careful, but not just your health, which is very important, but also your cybersecurity. Now, you're often, you know, in an airport or a restaurant with public Wi-Fi. You want to be safe. It's smart to use a VPN. Also, hey, if you're listening to this show, you probably like content from all around the world. Well, with NordVPN, you can access content from over 59 different countries just by changing your virtual location with a single click. I have to tell you, I've been very excited because one of my favorite shows, my family's favorite shows, Bluey, is starting its third season in Australia only. Not here, available here in the United States. Well, I can watch Bluey season three by using NordVPN to watch Australia-specific content. Or if I'm outside the U.S., I can still use all of my U.S. streaming services. You never miss your favorite show because geographic restrictions are no longer an issue. Go right now to nordvpn.com slash filmcast to get a two-year plan plus one additional month with a huge discount. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month and a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Plus, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee if NordVPN is not for you, so there is no risk again that is nord vpn n-o-r-d vpn.com slash filmcast promo code filmcast for a two-year plan plus one additional month at a huge discount all right devinder hardware you've been watching a few things yeah i'll just move quickly down my list but i have checked out all three episodes of station 11 i believe by the time you're listening to this there there's probably gonna be another one this is the new show on hbo max um it's an adaptation of the emily st john novel about a pandemic guys a pandemic that kills almost everybody it is about the remember uh, when that was just fiction yeah yeah <laughs> It's, well, uh, so, it's so weird. It's the you know people have debates about what the COVID mortality rate is, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But the mortality rate of the disease in uh, in Station Eleven is ninety nine percent. It's so real it's bad. Like, it's real bad. It, it is yeah. an extinction level event, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. It's real bad. COVID so, is not an extinction level event. This is is one in the movie. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and yeah. I just want to say up front, uh, I love the show. If you can get over the idea that uh, yeah, it, it is a show about a pandemic about a much worse one than ours. Um, it It is like a sh- 
it occurs across multiple timelines. It kind of shows us the world as the pandemic began to happen. It skips forward a bit um, and then it skips like a big chunk of time, I think almost yeah, 20 years. Um, so we see different characters in different timelines in different ages. Um, this is, should be an absolutely depressing show, right? About the end of civilization and about how we're all doomed and yada, yada, yada. And I have found this to be oddly hopeful and oddly, you know, just like very, very humanizing. You know, it is, um, it's very much like the leftovers. It really does explore how, you know, a huge event like this can impact a society and what it means for human civilization and how do you rebuild after something like this. Um, and it's actually the showrunners, Patrick Somerville, who wrote for The Leftovers. So that that really checks out for me. He's also done a lot of great shows, pretty much uh, uh, every show he has worked on. I have loved. So that includes Maniac on Netflix, a show that I think everybody for nobody remembers that show exists. That is a show entirely directed by Kari Fukunaga, you know, and uh, it is it is a wild, weird uh, sci-fi genre thing set in like a alternate universe in New York. He also he did Made for Love and um, he worked on a couple of other things. He, he did some 24 as well. But I like this guy. I like what he's writing. And this story here uh, just does a really good job of making me feel like there is hope for us after the pandemic. Let me put it mm, that way. And the key to this is really. Uh, it is art. It is pop culture. It is the things that we bring with us uh, from the remnants of our civilization and use it to build a new one. There is survival. And then there is, you know, the way we flourish as a society. And I kind of love how art and pop culture is kind of the key to everything happening here. Um, it reminds me, honestly, of uh, Reign of Fire. Reign of Fire, a great movie. And a great you're, you're talking about dragons movie. versus tanks? Yes. Yes, because there is a scene in Rate of Fire where they basically just do Star Wars. And you're like, yeah, of course. Of course, that's what we're going to do. We're going to retell the stories we're doing. We, we already have because that's how we survive. Humanity survives with stories. It's how we've kind of kept this whole thing going, you know, um, and just watching the show, even though it is really brutal at times, it's super violent. Uh, there are shots and sequences that feel like it is straight up the leftover. Um straight up the last of us at times mm. because the second episode begins with Mackenzie Davis on a horse. And you're like, yeah, just this is the last of us. Um, there is a lot of that, but there's a lot of hope here. I love all the actors. I think Mackenzie Davis is great. Also, weirdly, the actor, you know, the young girl who plays her when she's a child, Matilda Lawler is incredible too. So you kind of get these uh, just dueling timelines. Uh, another MVP of the show. I really, I like uh, Hamish Patel. Who is who's pretty solid. He's not in enough. But the third episode introduces Danielle Deadweiler's character, or at least devotes a lot of time to her. And she is somebody who plays, I think, kind of like a crucial role in the way society is rebuilding itself. And I just find her character and that actor incredibly compelling. So if you like The Leftovers, if you like a bit of like surreal TV and um, maybe seeing a worse pandemic, may make you feel hopeful about the one we're going through, which that's how it works. That's how post-apocalyptic fiction, that's how science fiction like this works in a way we've sort of prepared ourselves for whatever the hell we're going through right now because we've imagined worse possibilities. You know, it's sort of like you dream to imagine various uh, things you're going to go through in life to kind of prepare you for life. That's at least one theory of why we dream. Um, I'm kind of feeling that with this show. 
uh it is very good it is fantastic it is my it's, favorite thing on tv right now so davindra yeah. takes the over promise under deliver uh, on the pandemics mm-hmm. uh, sure stance. yeah over promise uh, when it comes to death yeah <laughs> I, I, i've seen the first two episodes of the show and i really like it um, yeah. episode I, three will floor you because it's like it escalates things quite a yeah. bit. yeah i'm looking forward to it i think that i have two reactions to the show um, number one, it is in fact gut wrenching to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and Certainly, the first episode is. Yeah, and I, I would say that like there is a scene in the episode, you know, extremely minor spoiler for the show, but there's a scene in the episode where a character um, starts uh, panic buying stuff at a, a mm-hmm. supermarket, mm-hmm. and it literally reminded me of this That's time us. when my wife and I uh-huh. went to the Safeway down the street and we spent like five hundred dollars on groceries because we're like we might not leave the house for like yes. two three months you know Absolutely. like yeah and it didn't end up being that way but like we at the beginning of this thing we knew so little about how this was spread and what was happening and uh and so yeah it it, mm-hmm. it definitely is like wow i'm like reliving this thing we, that we i were barely right back there. <laughs> we're not first of all we're not even done with it secondly i'm like s- still like mm-hmm. in the process of processing it um and so it's gut-wrenching that said Everything is so well executed, you know, in this story. Uh, all the stuff that you said, the, the the division of the story into different timelines, the performances, the main themes of the show. I feel like the storytelling is so good that I'm going to keep watching, even yeah. though I find the subject matter very upsetting, because I just feel like I am... I am there's, there's a feeling you get when mm-hmm. you're watching a show and you feel like the storyteller knows what they're doing. You know, you feel like you feel like, yeah, you are in this trust, this trust. Yes. You're in good yes. hands. You're like, OK, this person knows their shit. I think I, like this is going to be like this is going to be worth my time. It's going to pay off. That's what I feel with this show, Station Eleven. Mm-hmm. Jeff, can you watch a couple of episodes as well? Right. What do you think of it? I did. I also read the book. Um, way oh, yeah. back. You, you know everything that's going to happen. Then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was 20, what, 15 that I read it. Uh, not only so was 20 it be- years ago. Yeah. yeah, it might as well be M- not only before pandemic, before children in my life. So, you know, it's it's a whole lifetime ago. It just I, I <laughs> no memory of who I was, what I was thinking. I see pictures from back then. And I'm like, I know what? <laughs> yeah. Who, who Another is that planet. person. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys said. I I. I the first episode is is really harrowing, uh, specifically because mm-hmm. we've gone through something you know at, at a smaller scale. Um, it, but, it also starts by killing Gael Garcia Barnell in five minutes. Like, yeah, in under yeah. five minutes. It's just I felt like that was a baller move TV show. Like I am fully on board with what you're doing here. Yeah. Way too young to be playing Lear, though. Come on. <laughs> that's he's, true. Uh, that's true. I was older. like, is that Gael Garcia Bernal playing Lear? That doesn't really make that's, much sense. Uh, yeah. Way too young. Yeah. Um the uh the show is is very, very well made though, and um I'm I'm pleased to uh see this this book uh, get such good treatment. It it's cool because you know, not that long ago, this would be made into a movie that would have chopped up the story all to hell. Absolutely. You know, it, it's just yeah. not how yeah. things are adapted anymore. Things are adapted into you know, nine hour TV series. And now it's now like, we literally have the opposite problem where stuff that should be 90 <laughs> minutes is instead a five part uh, miniseries. An MCU and, yeah. series. Yeah. 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 So yeah. anyway, that's station 11. Jeff, it sounds like you're, you're a fan so far. I am. Um, yes. Yeah. And it's on HBO max. Um, Divin your hardware, uh, a couple other things you've been watching, right? Really good. Yeah. Um, I've wrapped up Hawkeye. I don't know where you guys are with that, but uh, yeah, oh, no buddy. spoilers. Yeah. No, no, spoilers. no spoilers. Not, but, oh, buddy. I don't, I did not expect this show to deliver so much joy to me. Um, it it is right up there with Loki. I don't think it's a it, it's not as like transcendentally 
well written as Loki, but damn, is it fun. The action is always just like really inventive and compelling. It makes me care more about Hawkeye because uh, if you've heard the last few episodes, I don't I have not Hawkeye been, is not your favorite. It's not my favorite. I, I, I don't think You can't think relate he to the Haley Steinfeld character in the show who <laughs> says Hawkeye is her favorite Avenger. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, always, does, were, is Hawkeye your favorite Avenger? Or yeah, do you have he, a favorite Avenger? Absolutely is. Uh, number one with a bullet. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> he's the you best for so joke, many reasons. But there were a lot of kids in the 60s whose favorite Beatle was Ringo. You know, mm-hmm. so sure, it would, it would sure. happen. It, it has happened. It will this happen. This would be like if your favorite Beatle was Yoko. Uh, is, is the equivalent. <laughs> That's not yeah. the equivalent to a Hawkeye. How dare you? How dare uh, the show, you? This show is basically a requiem for Hawkeye. So I will say that. Like, it really does dive into the fact, like, he is just a dude who's trying to, like, keep up with superheroes. His body is falling apart. And I think the final few episodes do a good job of uh, basically bringing in new elements, taking the series to a new level, and really surprising me in certain ways, too. And, uh, yeah, it's very good. And, um you know, stick around after the credits, after the final episode. I think some people will be pleased with what appears there. Oh, man. I got to watch it immediately. If I've seen it. It. You're going to be seen spoiled. The two episodes. I've heard it's great. Yeah. I, I'm planning to finish it because we, we should do like major spoiler alerts and just like text people like when to watch out. But uh, yeah, red alert, major spoiler alerts out there for Hawkeye. Yeah, I've, it's, I've it's in headlines. It's everywhere. Yeah. Davinger, you've also seen Guillermo del Toro's new movie, Nightmare Alley. What do you think yeah. of this one? I saw, I saw Nightmare Alley by myself just completely by myself because i went to the theater last friday like really before um you know omicron like really started to (laughs) ramp things up over the weekend and made me think we're i'm probably not gonna be going to the theater for a while again um so it's probably gonna be the last movie i end up seeing the parking lot completely full i have i have not seen that i've i haven't seen that at a theater since before the pandemic, you know, everybody watching the Spider-Man, right? Everybody watching Spider-Man, like lines of people ready for Spider-Man buying uh, popcorn to watch Spider-Man. Uh, I walk in just me in nightmare alley, which is fine because then, th- then I could actually sneak out and get popcorn and feel a little safer eating it. Uh, I love this movie. This is a weird kind of a, uh, it's kind of a carny noir you put it that way. Cause uh, this is Guillermo <laughs> del Toro's. Uh, it's a remake of an existing noir film, which I, I didn't know about. It was a book as well. It was a novel. Um, but it's about a guy who joins a carnival, basically um, becomes one of those like mentalists. He has a very good talent for kind of con- reading people and trying to predict them and uses that talent to become a big, uh, a, a kind of a big deal in New York. And I, I love this movie. It is, it kind of had me hooked. Um, probably one of the best Bradley Cooper roles in a very long time too, because the guy he's playing is basically somebody who is just like super ambitious. Like he's just trying so hard. He wants to be liked. He wants to be big. And watching this movie made me think of Bradley Cooper uh, circa alias where he was just the best friend. He wasn't a big star, right? This was pre um, the hangover. It was pre wedding crashers, you know, like I remember when Bradley Cooper was this guy just, clawing and struggling to like really become known in Hollywood. Now he is. And this is a good movie for deploying his charms, but also deploying like the squirreliness. I think that you can always attach to certain overly ambitious people. Uh, great cast. Another great Willem Dafoe role. Uh, Willem Dafoe just really ruling the box office. I think over the last weekend, although this movie is apparently failing, it's not doing really well. Um, 
But I dig all the characters. Yeah, yeah I, I dig uh, everything. I, I have going more to say on. about that, but why don't you finish what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I adore this movie. I think I like it more than Crimson Peak, which was the, you know, that was a couple of years ago. I forget if uh, was the Shape of Water after or before Crimson Peak. I forget at this point. But I like the Shape of Water. Crimson Peak was Crimson fine. Peak was before 2015. Yeah, this one I think is a lot more enjoyable. It is kind of vicious and brutal and mean too, in a way that befits a noir, like an actual noir film, and uh, just great cast all around. Like Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe as uh, Carnival people, I think are, are it, it's really well done. Kate Blanchett is very icy, like perfection in this movie, and Richard Jenkins pops up as a just kind of a complete. Um, kind of a complete monster in a way, but it's Richard Jenkins and you want to love him. Uh, I dig it. I dig it a lot. Uh, it'll probably hit VOD soon because it's apparently falling apart in theaters, right? Yeah. I mean, falling apart is, uh, nothing's happening. No understating, understating yeah. how bad it's going for this movie. Uh, th- this movie opened opposite Spider-Man, no way home. Both movies are by the quote unquote, same company now, right? This mm-hmm. is like basically a Fox searchlight movie, which is now owned by Disney. So Disney opened Spider-Man, no way home across from nightmare alley. Um, it would be like sending Hawkeye to take on Thanos. You know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> the, this movie made less than four million dollars. It'd be like yeah. sending Yoko Ono to take on Thanos. Wow. wow. I mean, I would watch that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's, very, it's very unfortunate, yeah. and yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to struggle to get to ten million dollars. I think it's so bad it's, because this yeah. was apparently the most expensive Fox Searchlight movie yeah. too so yeah. far. So. It's just like I feel bad for Guillermo. Uh, is Disney? Are they purposefully doing this? Like, I don't understand. Un- unclear, but I think what is what is happening. what is coming into focus right now, and I talk on with Scott Mendelson on Twitter Spaces every Sunday about this, is basically we still are able to get hit movies like Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and Spider-Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Basically, anything in the Spider-Verse is a hit movie. Um, but everything else that's not a blockbuster, temple, four-quadrant movie uh, is having a really, really hard time getting any traction whatsoever. So before you could have an Avengers Endgame, but then you mm-hmm. could also have like a smaller, medium-sized movie make you know fifty, a hundred million dollars at the box office. That's basically not happening anymore. Uh, it's, so it's very, very scary out there right now. It's I scary. Have a, I have yeah. a theory as to Spider-Man's success. Honestly, I think okay. the only thing it's not just that it's Spider-Man. It's not that it's just that it's a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. It's that it's a movie that everyone senses will be spoiled for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In some well, very profound way. Mm-hmm. And and in the same way, I think uh Infinity War uh benefited from that. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. these movies I have to see it yeah, the first day movies. it's in theaters yep. or or I'm going or the experience is going to be ruined for me. Mm-hmm. And there's just very few movies that have that quality to them. I Is think, he also the biggest superhero, technically, like in terms of merchandising and value? Oh, and everything? I, you know, like, yeah, Spider-Man yeah. is Mickey Mouse. You know, he's so, you know, yeah. yeah. But 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 I, I really don't think it's just the strength of the character. I think it's this feeling that people have that there is something inherent in this movie that is going to be I, I need to see it immediately or else the experience of seeing it will be ruined for me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and and I think that that is why people are willing to risk covid and mm-hmm. and need to get out that huge opening weekend it's because i have to see it now 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 i mean I've, just anecdotally i hear so many friends saying oh man it's the first movie i've seen in movie theaters in two years because i just i didn't want to miss out on seeing it yeah and i think it is the second biggest opening of all time of yeah all. so it's wild it's uh it's huge
Also, um, the, the timing makes it a super spreader event, most likely, because <laughs> nobody was wearing masks at my theaters. Oh. I see a lot of theater people, and I've talked about this before, but I see, like, you know, the, the theater executives and the people in the in- industry are like, man, we are we are just killing theaters out here. Theaters are not doing anything to really, like, protect themselves or people, you know, the actual audience is going there. So, yeah, a lot of people probably got Omicron from this uh, from the screening, because all I see are signs saying masks optional. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Don't worry, folks. If, once you walk into this theater, there is no pandemic. Masks are optional. Don't worry. You're safe. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, uh, we hope you are staying safe out there if you are watching movies in theaters. Um, but yeah. It, it may not like per, like my personal calculus is like it was I felt like we had a handle on it. Even with Delta, I went to very low attendance screenings. You know, I was very like I had a really tight, good mask. Um, I, I didn't eat. I didn't drink. I was just super safe. It sounds like Omicron is just a ninja that will get you, especially what's happening in New York. So it's like it's it's going to be another couple weeks or months. I don't know. Several weeks, certainly before I'm going to feel safe stepping back in. All right, uh, Devinder Hardwar, uh, we got to move on, I think, but you want to give a quick shout out to your last yeah, movie quick here? quick shout out to The Rescue, which is the new documentary from the directors of Free Solo. And that's the main reason I'm pointing it out. Mm. This is a, it's a documentary about the, the Thai uh, cave rescue, about the soccer team. Um, it is readily available. It's on Disney Plus right now. You can just go watch it. It's under the National Geographic section. It's really well done. I, you know, I read all the stories about how they tried to save these kids and everything, but I think the way they made this movie, um, some bits are dramatically reenacted too. I think um, that's really helpful to kind of show what people actually did. It is riveting. It is one of the best things I've seen this year. So I highly recommend checking it out. It's really, really cool. And yeah, if you want to feel more hopeful about humanity, the things, you know, the divers did to get these kids out or just wild and it was the extent of it was not conveyed in most reporting i think so it is worth watching for sure all right that's the rescue it's on disney plus and along with nightmare alley hawkeye and station 11 that's what devinder hart has been watching jeff canada what have you been watching well i was very excited to finally get a chance to see mcgruber yes yeah the new will forte show uh it it is I can't I believe this exists. Yeah, I can't I'm believe so it exists either. Grateful. And, this is uh, yes. this is the power of Lorne Michaels. Is what mm-hmm. this is. If Lorne mm-hmm. Michaels wants it to be, it is. Well, also Christopher Nolan. You know, Christopher Nolan wanted this to exist as well. <laughs> yeah, it's um, true. It's true. Yeah. So, uh, and, and it's also you know the fact that we have so many streaming services, they all need content. So yes. you know, uh, this is not yeah, a bad go, thing. Go back into the IP vault there and see what else we got. But I loved MacGruber the film. And I like. I genuinely, I'm not no sarcasm oh, at all. I really love that movie. I, I think that yeah. Will Forte is one of the funniest people on the planet. Yeah. Uh, I loved Last Man on Earth. I th- I think that that show. It's a crime that it, I mean, it's amazing that it lasted three seasons, but it, I wish that it had gotten another season because we talked about on this show, yeah. I think, we talked about what they planned for the next season. It sounded brilliant. Uh, his brand of comedy is so perfectly my sensibility. Uh, I love the, uh, just the nutty insanity that, that ensues. And that is on display in this this show, man. Uh, MacGruber, I, I mean, I think... I think Will Forte is is more often nude in this show than anything else, uh, which is pretty wild. Um, and it, it's very, very funny. It's very funny. I mean, it has uh, it has 
some awesome co-stars in it. Uh, I, I was laughing my butt off watching it. It, it is zany and uh, foul-mouthed and uh, you know, transgressive and goofy all in, in equal measure. It's exactly what I was hoping for from a MacGruber show. I find it thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, I love the show as well. It just it really feels like a continuation of the film in many ways. Yeah, uh, plot wise, in terms of its feel, its look, uh, many of the actors. Uh, a big fan. There's eight episodes on Peacock. I can't wait to watch the rest of them. Uh, that's MacGruber. It's uh, streaming right now. Jeff Kanata, you watched Come On, Come On, a movie that I said that I recommended on the podcast not too long ago. Yes, you predicted you would weep during this film. I'm curious, did you weep during Mike Mills' film, Come On, Come On? I wept. I wept. What'd you, what'd you think of the film? Uh, I adore this movie. Um, I adore this movie. Basically, Come On, Come On is, what if you got to hang around with Ira Glass <laughs> while he took care of his nephew for a while? <laughs> Which, if you're like me, that's a great premise. That's a premise I'm signing up for. Uh, it, it, it is... It is the story of a uh, an NPR uh, creator uh, hanging out with a kid, and these there's a lot of this is a subgenre that is not uncommon. This is a subgenre uh, that usually is hallmarked by a broken or uh, somehow emotionally repressed or or self indulgent or or uh, selfish man who because he's put in contact with a young young kid changes and learns something about himself. I'm thinking of about a boy, which is a great example of this, uh, but there are a number of movies that sort of fit this subgenre. I feel like this movie bucks that trend because you have a pretty much a well-adjusted good man who also has to deal with this kid. And it, there's not really an antagonist here, you know, it, the, usually these movies are about how the the young kid is going to change this crotchety a-hole into <laughs> discovering a heart of gold. You know, like that's not what this movie does at all. It's 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 up to something much more sophisticated, much more interesting, much subtler. Uh, it, it really is a movie about the fact that all of us, regardless of age, have a full, complicated, turbulent inner life that is very difficult to express to each other. And this movie is all about how difficult it is to express that inner life that we all have inside us. Um, and I found it exquisite. I found it beautiful in that, in that simplicity. Um, you know, it is also peppered with real interviews with real kids that, I guess Joaquin Phoenix did as this character, um, but sort of sort of documentary footage because he's a plays a documentarian, uh, and many times that is what made me cry is seeing these real kids. There's one in particular, this kid talking about how his mom never let him cry and told him that crying was not allowed. It destroyed me. Destro I mean, made me cry. I was like, it's okay to cry, man. Uh, I don't know, if, Dave, that that one resonated for you, but I, I thought that was, uh, he said his mom says, I hate kids who cry. And he was saying, I just want to have, you know, I just want to know it's okay to feel, it's like heart-wrenching. Um, but there are these, it, it is also a movie about um, 
parenting, really. It's it's sort of like what it is to parent. There's these wonderful phone conversations that the main character has with the the kid's mom. And the, and the kid's mom is like saying all these things that my wife and I have said about how hard it is to be a parent. You know, she has this wonderful speech about, um, you know, I love him more than, than like I can even understand, but also I have a hard time being in the same room with him sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, I just want to strangle him. And that's, <laughs> that's in a nutshell, that's being a parent. Like you yeah. love this thing more than you can express more than you know how to even handle and you also want to kill it. You know, like there's, it is, it is that dichotomy, you know, it is that strange dichotomy hoping, of like, hoping that Jeff's children don't listen to this podcast. Of the well, you know, this is I, audio I, evidence. My yeah. kids, my kids know full well that they drive me insane. Uh, but I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and, and I mean, there's these exquisite lines in this, this, this movie. Uh, there's another line that I wrote down because it moved me so much where, the kid says that my mom told me that I'll never know everything about you and you'll never know everything about me, even though I love you more than anything. I was like, that is, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, and and uh, the, the movie is also peppered with, it's, it's also sort of about art and expression and how hard it is to express these things. And there's, it's peppered with these essays, these, you know, other writings that are, noted on the screen as the main yeah, characters. Yeah, I love that they cite the sources. Basically, oh, like, so good. like, they'll read from, you know, one of the characters will read from a children's book. And yeah. on the screen, they will have text that says what the book is, you know? Uh, which I was just like, oh, I appreciate that. Like, it's actually citing its sources. And I like that. It's, it's basically saying, like, I think this work is valuable, and here's how you can check it out yourself, which is basically what we do here on the podcast of the week. So, yeah. It's such a great movie. I, I I adore this movie, and it's one of those films that you you leave, and you go, "I want to be a better person." Uh, mm. It ma it makes me want to be a better dad. It made me want to be a better person. It made me want to call my nephew. Like it's 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 beautiful. I loved loved it. All righty. Uh, well, that's come on, come on. It's available for rent right now on video on demand. That is what we've been watching. Huge what we've been watching section because it's the last one of twenty twenty one. All right, guys, let's get to Weekly Plugs. Weekly Plugs is a part of the show each week where we talk about something else that we've created. This week, I want to plug uh, the YouTube channel that I have. Um, I've gotten some reviews up there this month, some reviews for Spider-Man No Way Homes, for Matrix Resurrections. Uh, check it out at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky. Patrick H. Willems, I believe you've been known to dabble in the YouTubes. Yeah, once in a while. <laughs> what do you got cooking up on the YouTube uh, yeah, that, well, that people will be able to access by the time this episode's out? Uh, yeah, perfect timing. Also, this is good because uh, th this is literally the only relevant thing I have to plug at all. Uh, yeah, by the time this episode is out, I will have just released my last video of the year. Uh, which is a uh, sort of a uh, it's designed to be like kind of a Christmas special. Uh, kind of a, it is a, a celebration of a vaguely Christmas themed movie that I am a big fan of 2016's The Nice Guys. Mm, uh, nice. Okay. The, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it, it is nice. Uh, exactly. The title says so. They're good um, guys. Yeah. Great guys. And, uh, nice and guys. this is, I've, I've had a, you know, I've, 
I took some time off from making my regular video. If, if anyone listening to this is familiar with my videos, uh, I've sort of taken some time off. I've been working on this large other project. The, the videos I have made over the past few months have been a little smaller in scale, a little, not quite my regular uh, videos. This is the, uh, the I, I would say this is the first like full on regular one of my videos I've made since May. Uh, meaning there's a bunch of like uh, extra bullshit beyond just analyzing movies. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Uh, I'm, I, uh, my parents are in it. Uh, they're, they're delightful. Uh, it's vaguely Christmas themed and, um, and it does, uh, you know, because the, the, the stupid thing that I, I do on my channel where I have this overarching narrative connecting all the videos, it is actually set within that it's the, but it's, but it's set a year ago. It's, it's, if you, it, if this is if you don't know what I'm talking about, this probably sounds like a bunch of complicated nonsense. But if you do know what I'm talking about, I promise it makes sense. And um, and I think it's a fun way to to wrap up the year. And it's out now at YouTube.com/slash Patrick H Willems. I'm a big fan of Patrick's videos. Do check them out if you haven't yet. Um, he has helped to educate hundreds of thousands of people about films. So. <laughs> And the art of film. So that's, uh, that's very nice of you to say, David. Thank you. Devinder Hardware weekly plug. Uh, you know, we give a lot of uh, good viewing suggestions here on the show, but I've compiled a whole bunch over at Engadget too because people keep asking me. Not everybody listens to this podcast apparently, so you can check out my list of what to watch over the holidays over at Engadget. Um, and also, I have a review up of uh, Don't Look Up, um, which I liked more than other people i think that's a really interesting movie and i'll talk about that in a future episode but check out look out for that review soon as well all right jeff canada your weekly plug well it is the end of the year we'll be doing our top 10 episode next week or next time i say i should say uh but if you are also into video games we'll be doing our top five of the year that we do over on my video game podcast dlc uh, this next episode as well. We only allow ourselves five. It's cutthroat. It's rough. It's tumble. It's brutal. Uh, and we always have a great guest on. So check that out at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Uh, it is a, a show I'm proud of. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. And a couple of other weekly plugs I want to mention. First of all, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash film podcast is how you can do that. Sign up for ad-free episodes as well as weekly uh, exclusive After Darks. Um, also want to mention, if you want to recommend something for us to check out, use the hashtag slash tag on Twitter. Finally, uh, we never want you to contribute to the Patreon if it in any way causes you uh, financial hardship whatsoever. There are now two ways to support this show. Two ways to support the show for $0. One of them is to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And the second is this past week, Spotify launched podcast rankings uh, or ratings. So you can now rate podcasts in Spotify. And I would urge you to do this as soon as you can, because we really got to build up that rating as quickly as possible. So if you are listening to this on Spotify, we'd ask you, please just take a second, leave a re uh, rating or review for us. Uh, it would mean a great deal. So that's it uh, for Weekly Plugs. Let's get to our review of The Matrix Resurrections. So deja vu. And yet it's obviously all wrong. 
Maybe this isn't the story we think it is. They taught you good. Made you believe their world was all you deserved. But some part of you knew that was a lie. Some part of you remembered what was real. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Something else makes the same kind of noise. War. That was from the trailer for The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, the latest Matrix film directed by Lana Wachowski. It's streaming right now on HBO Max. You can watch it on uh, uh, in theaters if you choose. And also, I want to point out that you know the film cast guys had a discussion before we did this review, and it's it's my position that even the premise of this film is a spoiler. So we will have a very quick section right we're now. Not we're not going to even talk- tell you what franchise it's a sequel to. Y- yes. Yeah. That's how unsullied <laughs> you're going to yes. be. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we will talk in the vaguest of generalities in the pre-spoiler section and then very quickly move to spoilers. But, uh, I do want to hear what everyone overall thought. I'm extremely curious. Uh, (laughs) Patrick H. Willems, your opinion on the Matrix Resurrection. I'm the guest and you're, you're putting me on the spot and making me go first. Yeah. Uh, Always. Always. Guests get the seat of honor. Okay. Uh, uh, fine. Uh, I loved this movie. Yay! Um, I I am extremely pro Matrix Resurrections, uh, which even if I didn't know this was a divisive movie before I saw it, just watching it, you know, it's clear like, yeah, a lot of people are going to hate this. Um, This is not, (laughs) uh, if you had asked me like, I don't know, five years ago, what I wanted from a new Matrix movie, this is probably not what I'd describe. But then for me, for me watching it, uh, it really felt like this is exactly what it should be. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's all I'll, I'll, I'll say for now. All right. Patrick H. Williams loves it. Devinder Hardware, your opinion on the Matrix Resurrections? Yeah, I, I'm right there with you, Patrick. Like, I, I wanted to run around the theater and clap and scream at how much I love this movie. I had a lot of fun with it um, because it always is defying your expectations of what a sequel is supposed to be. Certainly a sequel to one of the biggest trilogies ever made. Um, it is very smart. It's self-aware. And I, I know I, I kind of felt watching it's like, Oh yeah, people are going to be like, it's, it's a little smarmy guys, but I don't, I didn't mind it. I, I don't mind a movie that wears its heart on its sleeve. And I think this movie is just fantastic all around. We'll talk about like, it's not perfect. Um, some of the action is kind of messy, but we'll talk about kind of what went wrong there. But overall, I love this movie. I think it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Jeff Kanata, does, does your limerick have any plot details or can we, can we go, can we do the limerick? What do you we think? can do it. Jeff Kanata, what's your opinion on Matrix Resurrections? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my opinion on Matrix Resurrections is best summed up in the form of a limerick. All right, man. All right, let's hear it. I guess I'd say I'm on the fence. I'd like more action and less pretense. But one fight that's cool is the franchise's duel with its own cultural relevance. Yes. That was Nicely good. done, Jeff. Nicely done. Thank you. Really well done. This is cultural relevance the movie is what this movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk more in spoilers about that, but... Um, I enjoyed that aspect of it much more than the sort of traditional matrixy stuff. I the biggest disappointment here is that the action sequences 
except for the last one, mm-hmm. which is pretty rad, uh, are are lackluster. It, it's uh, kind of a shame. Yeah, it yeah. it is. It, it's kind of the 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 film's greatest sin is that you're making a Matrix movie and and the and the action for the most part is pretty bad, pretty boring. Um, you know, like uh, Shang Chi had way better action sequences just to pull mm-hmm. one random yeah. movie. Um, it was it was the way, and I, I will, we can talk more about this in the big thing. But the Wachowskis in general have kind of moved away from the highly stylized kind of choreographed stuff, and I think it's purposeful. But I'll talk about that, yeah, in spoilers. I there's a lot to like about this movie, I think, but there are definitely things to not like as well. Uh, it is. We we talked as you know over the last two weeks we've done after darks on each of the the two first Matrix sequels, and we noted in rewatching those movies how they very intentionally subverted people's expectations about that franchise. So the fact that this movie also subverts what a legacy sequel or whatever we're calling them these days uh, is, I think should be expected and and shouldn't surprise anybody but also is i think very cool i think it's great that's what this franchise has been all about since the first movie and this this film is all about wrestling with what the matrix franchise is and should be mm-hmm. and i love that about it i love that about it but it also kind of wants to give us a good matrix movie which i do not think it does i do mm. not think it is also a good Matrix movie. I, I kind of wish it didn't even attempt mm-hmm. to give us a good Matrix yeah. movie, and it just did this subversive thing. Yeah, yeah. I think there would be yeah. riot, riots in the streets if that happened, Jeff. Like, well, but there like, already the are. Civilization like, would fall <laughs> apart, you know? You, but people, I mean, you know, if you're, you know, Lana Wachowski, that you are pissing gonna piss people off with this movie like that mm-hmm. you're intentionally mm-hmm. doing that that's not that's not a symptom that's mm-hmm. a that's not a bug that's a feature you know that's, I, I think yeah 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 that's what she, she intended to do that's what she set out to do and uh i i wish she had just gone full bore and gone you know why even waste our time kind of making these uh, to my opinion you know, lackluster, half-assed mm-hmm. action sequences. Mm-hmm. I think I think she wanted to have fun too. I think that's the mm-hmm. only. It's, it's not just like serving people their vegetables. Like these action sequences don't certainly don't hold up to the rest of the series, but they're fun like setups in certain ways. Like I, I think there there's something there, even if they're not as like well choreographed. Well, on that note, on that note, mm-hmm. I will say that I think that there are some really cool. My opinion is there are really cool ideas. Yes. In the Matrix Arts, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's like what if you would were to go back and you're like, how can we make the the world of the Matrix cooler or expand on the world in a way that's cool, right? And I think there are some genuinely interesting ideas, but you know, and I brought this up in my in my YouTube review. Like, here's an idea, um, a, like for Star Wars, Force Awakens, like um, a droid that's spherical and it moves by rolling along the ground. Like, that's an idea, right? That's a pretty cool idea. It has no bearing on how good the movie is, right? And I, it, it can theoretically impact the plot in some ways, but like it has no bearing on the narrative of the movie and the story the, f- the film's trying to tell. There are great, interesting, cool ideas in Matrix Resurrections. Ultimately, the movie for me was very, very disappointing. I think it tries to do a couple different things, and it doesn't do any of them particularly well. 
Um, Jeff's identified like a pretty done a pretty good job of identifying some of the things it tries to do. Agreed about the action, Jeff, and um, I agree about this movie trying to like kind of subvert our expectations. And I think I'm open to that. Um, but also at the same time, I just found this to be very disappointing. And I, I think I was like, I had no idea what this movie was about. I was like, I had a pretty open mind going into it uh, about like any, like it could be any of a number of things. Right. And uh, we'll talk in spoilers about some of the things it could have been. And, and at the same time as, as it could have been those things and it, where there's all this potential, I feel like it didn't really deliver on, on any of the possible paths it could have gone down. And that to me is, is very sad. So do you think, let me ask you this question, Dave. Yeah. Do you think in 20 years, as you have revisited reloaded and it has raised in your estimation, there's a chance for this movie raising in your estimation, or do you think that it is a different beast entirely? Here's here's the best comparison I can think of to it is it is possible that this will be like, uh, the uh, how we mm-hmm. have, have reevaluated the Matrix two and three, right? Like For sure. Matrix two and three, Matrix two. Like when that movie came out, I was like, Ugh, yeah, hate hate this movie. Right. Not good movie. Not what I want. Not what, I, not what I, I want. That's the how thing. dare it's you? Like, yep. It's not yep. what I want. And I think this movie is definitely a not what I want right, movie. Right. So then, so then, you know, decades later, or you know, years later, some people recognize the brilliance of. You know, a movie like Reloaded immediately, and for some people like myself, it took a while to really come around on it. And it is very possible that Matrix Resurrections in a movie like five, ten years, we're going to revisit, and everyone's going to be like, "Wow!" Like we didn't know what we had. Free of the weight of expectation, this movie's awesome. It's very, po- or at least it's very ambitious and it's trying to do something very interesting. It's very possible it's going to end up like that. I don't think it's going to end up like that. I think this is what it's going to be more like. It's going to be more like, uh, okay, when I watched Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Great movie. <laughs> Two and three came out. I was like, these movies suck. I hate these movies. They're overlong. They're bloated. Then I watched Pirates 4 and 5, and I was like, oh my gosh, at least Pirates 2 and 3 had vision. They were trying to do something. Style. Yeah, yeah, They were trying for something that, like, even if it didn't hit it, like they were really going for it. That's how I feel like matrix resurrections is going to be it's going to be a nothing movie it's going to be a movie that like i don't understand we, that comparison well, okay. it's going to be a movie I, yeah, where like either, we, but, we, yeah. we go back on it like you look at matrix resurrections you're like oh my gosh like i miss so many of the things that made the series distinctive in two and three like i thought two like you know three was pretty rough but like i would take three any day over matrix four personally now well, i know people I, feel differently about that some people feel mm-hmm. like this movie is better than either of the sequels, right? And maybe you guys fall into that camp. I, I walked different into this thing. movie yeah. thinking it was it was going to be the last Jedi of the Matrix yes, sequels. Absolutely. But I but I heard someone else. I wish I had thought of this, but I heard someone else reference. I think an even better and perfect analogy, which is it's Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, it is absolutely. That's a new it. nightmare. Yep. All right. Well, let's let's talk also, more about what exactly sort of that Gremlins means. too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about what that means in spoilers. Let's get the spoilers for the Matrix Resurrections starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. The new nightmare comparison seems to be resonating with a lot of people. Patrick H. Willems, you want to expand on it a little bit? What do you think? 
Uh, yeah, so Wes Craven's new nightmare for I guess for those who are not familiar, I was uh, I I saw Matrix with my sister yesterday, and I brought this up afterwards, and she didn't know what it was. So I was just explaining it. Um, so uh, it is obviously Wes Craven, legendary horror director, create made the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, then was less involved in the many many sequels, and then returned mm-hmm. and made a movie called Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Uh, which stars I can't remember the actress's name, but the the it it stars the star of the original Nightmare on Elm Street, but as herself. And Wes mm-hmm. Craven appears mm-hmm. as himself. Robert Englund appears as himself, and it deals with like the idea of making another Nightmare on Elm Street movie. But then and that was the seventh uh, Nightmare on Elm, Tr- Elm Street, by the way. Like that was well into the franchise. Yeah, too. yeah. So. It, it's it's this like meta commentary on it, uh, you know, on me- basically making another sequel as you have like the reality of like the uh, the movies like coming out into the real world, and um, you know, Resurrections does not go quite as far as like <laughs> Lana Wachowski showing up in the film as herself, but it comes pretty damn close to that. I, I kind of wish that, it, it leaned into all of that, but yeah. yeah. I, I mean, well, considering that, like, especially the first act is largely about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Keanu Reeves as Thomas Anderson uh, being forced by uh, their <laughs> benevolent parent company, Warner Brothers, to make a Matrix 4. It's amazing. It's, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, people were joking at the time the trailer came out that this movie has the, pl- the same plot as Space Jam 2. Which uh, I think there's a lot to that, but uh, here is here is my experience watching the movie. So Patrick, you and <laughs> I have company talked a lo- too. <laughs> yeah, you, you exactly Warner Brothers. You you mm-hmm. and I have spent a lot of time, Patrick, talking about like what the premise of this could have been, right? Yep. And so the movie begins, and there's this whole stuff with bugs and and uh, and Yahya Abdul Mateen the second, like kind of becoming uh, Morpheus and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't really know what's going on yet. But then it's but like that, the that, ma- that, let's not let's that first scene is bugs exploring the very first scene of the matrix right, from another right, right. angle. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Which so is, it's, it's cool stuff. It's cool stuff. I'm like, okay, my, when he, when my interest said, is peaked movie. Wait, when you said bugs, I thought we were still talking about space jam. That's <laughs> yeah, true. It it's does true. have his bugs in it. Yeah. And bugs but no, from, from the very first scene, this movie is telling you like, yes, we are casting another lens in another direction on stuff. You already know. Like it's, it was cool, but it was certainly like intriguing. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I'm happening. still totally with yeah. the movie at this point. So then, then it's like, guess what? The Matrix was a video game, and like this guy used his experiences to like shape the video game. And my mind is explode. My brain is exploding out the back of my head at this point. I'm like, holy shit! And uh, this is so bold because basically, if this premise is true, it <laughs> undoes everything that happened in the first three Matrix films. Right? It's like the first three Matrix films were a video game, and like I'm like. Holy shit! Number one, I'm angry, but number two, I respect it. You know, did I'm you like, really? How? How? Like, what was the percentage of your body that thought that was a possibility? Uh, significant, significant at okay. that point because okay. uh, I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe it was all video, and that w- that would be an incredibly <laughs> bold decision, right? And that is the movie that you guys are talking about, right? That's the movie you guys are talking about, like the new nightmare and the meta examination. That's what that movie would have been, but it is not that movie. Because in this movie, there's another Matrix, and they basically re- they do a speed run of the f- plot of the first three movies in the final hour and a half of this film, right? Is is kind of what this is, and it is just 
way less interesting than it was the first time around. So basically what I'm saying is I wish it had been the new nightmare. Like I wish it had been that movie. Cause then at least I would be like, wow, mm-hmm. that's really interesting that, you know, maybe I, I might like it and I can, uh, you know, hold it up as this examination of the meta textual elements of the movie, or I might dislike it. And then I'll ignore that it exists, but at least, you know, say what you will about the tenets of matrix reloaded and matrix revolutions. At least they're an ethos. I there, there's definitely an ethos here. It is not <laughs> yeah, the new okay, nightmare, go ahead. Go ethos, ahead. Yeah. but the, the every, like the, the entire setup of this movie. Yeah. They do kind of have to go through the basic setup of, uh, of uh, Thomas Anderson becoming awakened as Neo, but the entire setup here is wild because it is the corporate structure that's like, how do we, you know, how do we control? It's more like another system of quote control, right? And the discovery is that hey, um, you can we we can have Neo and Trinity back, and it turns out that that desire that will they get together, you know, bit uh, that that feeling between them kind of uh, kind of gets the audience a little going. You know, it makes the Matrix more powerful. So let's keep that going. Let's uh, let's boil down this story of redemption uh, from the original movies. Like this is this bold story of heroism. Let's just make a make a little video game. You know, kids will play it. It'll be fun. Like it's it's just everywhere. It's pop culture. And this movie is saying some really incredible things about the way we we kind of reduce things because for a lot of yeah maybe for a lot of people the matrix is just a big dumb series with like you know there's cool action there's car chases there's shootouts i think for a lot of other people like us as we've talked about it like there there are deeper layers to the story and it's trying to do more um to me it's fascinating how how that corporation was basically using that using the story we know basically as a weapon against uh against neo and against humanity again too um there's a lot of stuff here and i think a lot of this movie really just comes down to how much you care about the neo trinity stuff because let me just say ending the ending of uh revolutions just it breaks my heart it breaks my heart that trinity sees 10 seconds of sunshine and dies you know it it, it's just a lot of those things and it is pure fan service to bring these characters back. I think uh, Lana Wachowski has talked about that. She's talked about after the death of her parents, um, how she kind of came back to these characters and we're like, well, I can, I can bring these characters back, you know, and tell really an interesting story with them. I think there's a lot going on there, but also we'll talk about like the, the, what it means with what they do with Trinity in this movie. But I think it's also like corrective too, in terms of like what it means for the Neo Trinity relationship. It's uh, I don't know. It's hopeful. It's rewarding. But it's the story that, of a mom. Yeah. Who just a mom. turns her back on her children <laughs> to bait with the new hotness. And, and the new hotness. in her, in her, in her <laughs> defense, the new hotness is Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you and, can't uh, really blame her. To be specific there, too, it chats to Helsky, right? Um, chats to Helsky plays her husband in the film. He's also the, film. Yeah. The, chore- the director of John Wick and the choreographer of this film, I believe. Of this so. film and also like uh, uh, Reeves' stunt double in the first, in the Matrix trilogy. So like mm, you know, yeah. Helsky goes way, way back. Um, but uh, even all that stuff was like, yeah, sure, she abandons her family that this machine infrastructure, you know, pushed her to. Uh, the big point of this movie is that it was her choice to decide where to go and they would have left her there if that's what she chose. Yeah. I just found I mean, there's, I, there's a lot of hopeful stuff and a lot of really interesting exploration, but what this franchise means, what it means when Warner brothers is like, God damn it. We need a matrix four. We need it now. Cause wasn't something was kind of floated 
before this movie, right? Something without the Wachowskis. Yeah, the I Zach mean, I think Cameron, if you take right? this movie at face yeah. value, right? It's that yeah. it's that they were going to make the movie without yep. the Wachowskis, and so it's like you might as well be involved. And so I can completely respect that as a creative person. You know, this thing is about to be taken away from you. You might as well be involved, and like if you can pull something decent out of it, then it's a huge victory. Uh, Patrick H. Williams, let's go back to you. I mean, Devinger's talking about a lot of the things that resonated with him about this film. Like, were there any themes in particular that you thought were were very well executed and that resonated with you in, in Matrix Resurrections? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, uh, so I've I've seen the movie in total uh, once and a half. I was, <laughs> I was really hoping to like, uh, you know, rewatch it uh, Same. Yeah. Uh, bef- before this recording. And I, I, I got halfway through uh, before we had to go on the call and I'm, and even just going through it the second time, I'm like, you know, more little, like uh, just small little visual touches uh, like, like reflections in surfaces that I was, I didn't notice the first time around were jumping out at me. Everything was, was, was clicking even more than it did the first time around. So I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, I think this is really going to, at least at least for me, uh, like be rewarding on multiple viewings, and and I think part of that is because there are there are so many like lenses through which you can view this movie and and different ways you can read it, uh, which is a pretty amazing thing to say about like a franchise blockbuster in 2021. Absolutely, I mean, like like yeah. in th- the simplest thing, and this doesn't even necessarily speak to the quality of the movie, but just um, I've become both very i feel like 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 a lot of people like both exhausted and depressed by a lot of the 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 current state of like ip driven filmmaking like Mm -hmm. you know you know ghostbusters afterlife bummed me out Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) i did just did not make me feel good about the state of things and um and even like look i had a great time at spider-man no way home but that is also a kind of like you know, fiendishly brilliant piece of yeah. like IP management more than it is like a great artistic achievement. You um, can feel the alarm bells going off while watching that movie. Is like, uh, this is, I'm having a lot of fun here, but uh, why? Why is the water creeping up to my neck right now? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Patrick weird. prefers uh, original films like West Side Story. <laughs> and um, wow, I know. West Side Story burn. Can you <laughs> believe that they, they made another one when the last one was just sixty years ago? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and the based on the you know a story that's four hundred years earlier than that. All it's, right, all right, all right. Let's not fight about West Side Story, guys. No, no, Patrick, no, Dave. I, I know you prefer original works like House of Gucci. Yeah, uh, totally, totally. <laughs> pa- Patrick Willems, but uh, but continue. <laughs> uh, oh, yes, but what I was going to say was this was just so incredibly refreshing to mm-hmm. uh, to see a movie that is. It's it's very upfront about being a continuation of a franchise, uh, and it cl- but it clearly has much more on its mind than giving the fans the exact experience that they would like and repackaging the same. Uh, like, I mean, let me put it this way: um, if non Wachowskis had made this movie, if if the the Zach Penn one or whatever had gotten made. There's I I will be the first to admit that I would I would probably have enjoyed a uh, a let's say a 
Force Awakens-esque Matrix movie, one mm-hmm. that looked and felt exactly like the first Matrix and did all of the like familiar things <laughs> that I expect. And maybe it did have a new bullet time like that guy pitches in that one scene. Which they also uh, do in this movie. They, they they do actually do that. Yes. But yeah, but the thing is, um, I probably would have had a fun time with that just because I inherently enjoy the Matrix and the aesthetics of it mm-hmm. and the feeling of it and like all the cool action stuff. And I think that probably would have been a fun but maybe relatively empty experience that I probably wouldn't think about too much may- like after like a day or so. And this... I I mean, and this is so overtly uninterested in like in being what the fans want or what the the studio wants. Uh, right down to the fact that like the visual language and aesthetics, which are so iconic, are basically just like completely changed here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no green tint. There is no like ultra stylized, like ultra slick heavily storyboarded camera work it doesn't look anything like the other ones the like other than using a couple musical motifs it doesn't sound yeah. like it nobody's uh, posing here you know in exactly. the way that people did throughout the entire yeah original trilogy. right which can be a little bit jarring initially but it just this movie is not interested at, like at the end of the day in content in like Mm -hmm. extending this ip for the next 20 years so they can make five more movies and like warner brothers can be happy i don't think there's going to be another matrix movie at least involving lana wachowski this this very much felt like if i have to like if if there this must be made i'm going to make a movie first and foremost for me where i also express all of all my feelings about the uh, the state of this industry in which I work and the very nature of this movie, and uh, and also you know just like you know and, and the the way it ends with like to me the ending of this movie without getting into even the plot, but I feel like it's saying like uh you know no, you you can get into it we're we're in spoilers okay right? okay so it, yeah. like you know the, I feel like the villain of this movie basically just wants to you know keep people in in this bubble of familiarity mm-hmm. always kind of wanting more but never really getting it and the you sheeple know, want... want control certainty exactly says. Yeah. and then the heroes of the movie they take control of this thing and this thing could even could be you could read it as you know uh the, the 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 film industry are just the world of like of of art and stuff like that and basically say no this can be better and we want to remake it into something better that is like better and personal uh that's not just the same stuff and this totally fits into you know i feel like you know speed racer i i Mm -hmm. i've always thought of as like one of the the great uh films about trying to make personal art within a uh capitalist system and i think this such an underrated movie it i i love it so much i think this this keeps that whole thread going Interesting. Yeah, Jeff, go ahead. I think you make some great points there, and I and I, I, I am definitely not full chin here. I, I as I said in the limerick, <laughs> never I, go I'm, full chin. Yeah, I'm definitely. Uh, there are lots of things to like about this movie, and I am I am conflicted about it because I feel you. I feel what you're saying, Patrick, and I felt it in the film. I felt so much of that 
uh, double layer, that that meta commentary that that I mean, not just about art and the film industry. It is about all of life. It is about how complacent seem to be it's it's basically a referendum on misreading our first trilogy like stop miss there's this great uh uh tweet the brainstorming um, session yeah well there's this great tweet that that was going around again Uh, it's Mm. back from it's it dates back to 2020 but uh it's a somebody took a picture of a tweet from uh, elon musk Mm -hmm. saying take the red pill which is quote tweeted by ivanka trump saying taken, which is quote tweeted by Lily Wachowski saying, fuck both of you. I love the internet sometimes. It's actually a reply, not a quote tweet. What? God damn it, Dave. (laughs) Chend it up. Way to miss the point entirely. Uh, I think this movie, in a lot of ways, is that set of tweets, Mm -hmm. right? This movie is Mm -hmm. fuck both of you in movie form. It is literally saying, stop <laughs> misinterpreting what we were saying, assholes. Uh, and I, I love it for that. Like, I love it for its wrestling with its own legacy and trying mm-hmm. to course correct and trying to say, like, listen, a lot of the stuff we were predicting has actually come true. And people, the thing we got wrong is that we thought people would want to resist mm-hmm. and nobody wants to. People want to just let it happen. They're just super happy about it happening, in fact. And yeah. that's nothing, where we got nothing wrong. Nothing comforts anxiety like a little nostalgia. I think yes. Morpheus says it. And that that's it. Yeah. That's what's happening now. That, but, that's everything that's happening now. Yeah. But this movie also wants to have its cake and eat it, too. Yes. And yes. that's the problem. It, it is two movies. It, it basically wants to be two movies, right? It it, yeah. it is also the movie, Patrick, that you said you didn't want to see or maybe you would have liked if you hadn't known it. You know, it, it is also that movie. It is also the retread movie that has Keanu Reeves say, whoa, and has him. Say, I still know Kung Fu. I still know Kung Fu in the worst possible play. Like, you we don't already, think that's on purpose? We though? already had. Like, a, listen, listen. We yeah. already had a scene where. He realizes he knows Kung Fu still. Why not put that line in that scene? Why wait half an hour later in your movie for him to say it? It makes no damn sense. Anyway. So it is also that movie. It is also the movie where uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is under 15 pounds of makeup because for some reason that is not clear to me, (laughs) 60 years happened inside this movie instead of 20. Like, well, I think it's probably to make it more plausible that there a would be another matrix. There'd be mm-hmm, a machine mm-hmm. war between themselves. And, you know, like so much well, heavy like, a lot lifting. of shit happens after the end of revolutions that they need to like figure out a way to explain like how all that stuff happened. In Can order I just to, like, have jump in matrix. and say one thing in response to, to, to what Jeff just said, please go ahead. Please. Um, I mean, in, in some ways, it has elements of of that. It, it, it does give you little bits of like familiar Matrix stuff, but at, at, like I think it's pretty significant that let's say, unlike okay, so a beef I've always had with the Force Awakens is that uh, 
in the time that has passed between that movie and Return of the Jedi, the the same like everything fell apart and the exact same conflict was happening yes. again. And yes. the status quo did not fundamentally change at all. And yes. it was just back to where we started. Correct. I appreciated that in this, there is not just the same big mm-hmm. human machine war. Uh like what they did at the end of the last movie did actually mean something. And in this, they are not, you know, the the goal of this is is not to like you know save humanity from like extinction or or whatever and uh and also they did I, I that already yeah they, they they did that already it is basically a it is small personal stakes to just reunite with and 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 save uh the person that neo loves and also and there's things like um and they've they've uh, i know uh, david mitchell the one of the co-writers has talked about this in interviews how they made the conscious choice like you know not to have neo ever use a gun in this one mm-hmm. like they have uh well it gives you you know some of the familiar elements it has also it is it is still i think doing a a new thing and not simply like you know checking off all the boxes wow i i am stunned patrick to hear you say that because i just feel like fundamentally i i disagree you know like i i don't agree that that's what it's like this to me is actually arguably worse than what force awakens does because not only are they replaying many of the same beats they're actually showing you those beats from the first film right or from the earlier films and i'm I'm like i didn't think it could get worse than just redoing the same plot points over again but actually they're like hey remember when this happened now davindra you seem to imply that like there's some kind of intentionality to it being bad it's, like it's this. And I'm curious. It's, it's what? Yes, it's all intentional, guys. Like, yes, when when the knowing Neo, I still know Kung Fu thing. Like, yes, it's meant to be funny. I think that the movie is winking and nodding at you while also trying to not play to these conventions. But yes, you are watching the scenes of the original trilogy. You are watching characters watching those scenes, and it is a movie that's literally interrogating your relationship with that trilogy as you're watching it. Like it. Yeah, you could boil what, it down. What, what, what is the interrogation? What what is it saying about my relationship to the original trilogy? Like, I I I I don't agree that it has anything terribly interesting to say about like how we viewed those films. Um, maybe if it had made the entire movie about the first half, which is like it was a video game and how are people perceiving it? Like, it was actually genuinely potentially getting to some interesting material there. I agree with that. But then it tries to go mm-hmm. in another direction and basically reboot the entire first. Yeah, I, three as films, soon as right? as soon as Neo is pulled out, yes, the movie that's when it really tanks. the movie completely lost me. Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah it, it is because they they still want to tell us what's happening in the real world and something like I don't I don't think it's just retreading everything. Like everything really means something here. So that's that's just the way I'm telling it. Like you can boil it down saying like, oh yeah, they're just doing exactly what happened before. Except now, you know, Morpheus is this self-aware creature that was basically yeah, yeah. created by I think it's a, you know I think it's a huge mistake to bring back Morpheus and Agent Smith. I think the movie is mm-hmm. actually harmed by Lawrence Fishburne but, and uh and Hugo mm-hmm. Weaving not being in it. But he's mm-hmm. not Morpheus. Well, it's about what is Again, happening there. Like Neo wrote this thing as like a coat. Like he is a creation of Neo, the memories of Morpheus, who has become his own thing. I don't quite understand like how both that character has elements of Smith too. And I think they could have explored some of that. But these are characters who are, you know, this is a computer program. He's not Morpheus. And he's watching scenes of Morpheus trying to be this human. This movie is so much about the relationship of now humans and machines coexisting too. Like, I think a lot of the stuff that happens in the real world is interesting. 
it's kind of cute franchise stuff. Like you've got cute machines now. You've got Sebebe. I would die for Sebebe. <laughs> I love yeah. Sebebe. I mean, like, let's talk about some of the things that like I, I, I quite enjoyed about this movie. One of which is uh, I like the new cast members. You know, uh, Jessica Henwick and Yaya Abdul-Mateen II. Uh, specifically Jessica Henwick, I'm like, she is so charismatic. She's amazing. Like, she's great. It, yeah. it's just, and she star. has the physicality for this role. It's like, yeah. dude, this is, uh, this woman should be famous, should be a household name. Like, I hope she gets yeah. much She's more been in a ton of stuff too. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was uh, one of the Lannisters in Game of Thrones, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. one of the people from that terrible uh, she was one of the, the Sand Sisters. Or, anyway, yeah. she's she one of the Is yeah. she in Sensei Demeanor? Yeah. Uh, I don't don't believe she's in Sense Eight, but she was. She's the the girl from Iron Fist, which I have not seen at all. But I know people really liked her in Iron Fist. <laughs> yeah, she's one of the good parts about yep. about Iron Fist. Also, she's apparently going to be in Knives Out too. Um, I uh, we talked a little bit about the final action sequence, right? And like, so good. That is I thought that was legit awesome. cool. Like the concept the, of people throwing themselves out of yeah, windows the zombie as bomb. thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it reminded me crazy. of. Um, uh, was it Fate of the Furious? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Patrick, another movie we've talked a great deal about where like there was that scene in Fate of the Furious where like uh, I think Charlie's Theron character uh, reprograms all the cars so they're, they're basically like zombie cars and they yeah. start like falling onto the heroes. Uh, reminded me a lot of that scene except it's humans which makes it mm-hmm. like even more uh, kind of terrifying. It's horrifying. Um, it, it is like a horror yeah. movie by that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it turns into yeah, a yeah. zombie movie. So, yeah. So yeah. That, that part is like legit really well like and th- those are the interesting ideas i'm talking about also mm-hmm. the idea of like being able to bring uh agents like outside of the matrix into the real world like you that, mean ai like computers yeah yeah you know se- yeah. sentience i believe they're called sentience uh, and yeah i thought all Synth- that sentience, like, yeah all that mm-hmm. all that bubble visualization uh, it just bothered me it's 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 so too, easy too nano particles yeah, too yeah. Nano, too yeah, much well, like nano it, particles yeah. all of a sudden it doesn't have any rules like okay if you have to stand next to a thing because it's re- <laughs> reconstituting the bubbles in a certain way but all of a sudden now he can like go out on missions and jump on things it's like well what what the what, yeah, it's yeah. not it's nothing the the yeah. agent facial change thing too is like it is so smart like just intelligently updated because sure in the 90s who was the villain? It was the man, the corporate man, the man in the suit. And now it's like, yeah, they, they, they could just be anybody, guys, because it turns out there are goddamn villains all around us and we don't even know it. Um, all yeah. those changes I thought were really smart. The, the swarm is yeah. such a great metaphor for yeah. what the Internet is. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty good. But and, and that action sequence is legit awesome. Having uh, Trinity driving the motorcycle while Neo mm-hmm. is like using Neo powers to blast away everything. I thought that was all so cool. But it's the first time in the entire movie that you go, oh, this is a Matrix level action sequence. You know, I mean, even the stuff on the train that was I was like, oh, here we go. It's like not <laughs> great. It's not imaginative. There's no cool new concepts. Yeah. It, it, I wish, it, well, the, the concept there is like they can jump in and out of multiple places, right? They don't have to get yeah. through a wired phone. They can get through yeah. mirrors. mirrors. I wish the train sequence was longer because there's some really cool aesthetics there. And I, again, I like the idea of like firing a missile. Yep. Uh, you know, out of a room, and then it goes through a door, and then explodes on the train. Like into that's kind into of a another, cool, like basically through right, that doorway, another portal that, that's from Reloaded. Cool. You know, yeah. like the way they could like move through those things, but. The thing people didn't really understand about like um, Speed Racer too is like it's the aesthetics of it. You know, it's like what they were doing. People were like, "Oh, this is this is a cartoon. It's too hyperkinetic. I can't keep up with all these edits and everything." And I think now um, the action is it's not as deliberate as it was before in the original trilogy, um, and certainly like 
I think the Wachowskis have been doing this with Sense8 um, and even a bit with Cloud Atlas. Like the way they shoot action isn't storyboarded as much anymore. It's a little loosey-goosey. Maybe it's a little too Paul Greengrass. Um, I didn't have a problem keeping up with what was happening, but I wish like we pulled out a little more to yeah, get wider it, it shots. It is shot very close on. and yeah. often edited very close. Uh, Patrick H. Williams, what did you think of the action in Matrix Resurrections? Anything that you particularly thought was worth highlighting? So I... Uh, I mean, as much as I do love the movie, I I, I feel like it, this isn't you know, it's pretty obvious that the the action is not on par with mm-hmm. with the earlier movies. But I uh, it it isn't a major issue for me personally because I I think this movie is much less interested in being an action movie than the others are. Uh, and um, there is uh, one second. I'm just um, trying to pull this up. There's this uh, excerpt from uh, an interview uh, that was uh, with Jonathan Groff that was going around um, uh, talking about the actual film language of it. And um, have you guys seen this? I know. No, I saw. I saw Jonathan Groff trending on Twitter today. Maybe that's what this is about. Okay, it's from, I, I uh, agree it's, with you. I think. I think it's not interested in being an action movie, but it, it feels mm-hmm. like. Then don't jerk me around. Yeah, it, it feels like it's going through the motions a little bit. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Patrick. Go ahead. Uh, so the and and it, this doesn't necessarily like you know defend the fact that the action isn't as good, but it kind of mm-hmm. I guess it gets into the choice. Uh, so Groff says uh, Lana's style of filmmaking has changed with mirroring her transition. Uh, uh, she was explaining to us how in her earlier work she would storyboard things like they were comic books almost and create exact frames of what she wanted as her way of literally controlling her narrative because there was so much out of control inside of her. Then when she embraced her identity, this articulated itself in her work and opened her up to the idea of capturing the things that can't be controlled. Mm. Mm. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And so and I, I think that does get into it, especially when you look at like, you know, uh, through like Sense8 and stuff like that. And especially I, I feel like a lot of it kind of starts with um, the Wachowski's collaboration with uh, John Toll, the cinematographer, right, who has right. shot all of their stuff from Cloud Atlas onward. And he had to leave the Resurrections production like partway through just because of like, you know, uh, COVID and shooting in different countries. But um, but I think that collaboration has really kind of just like evolved their visual language. And like, look, I'll be the first to admit, like I like kind of I I, I prefer the aesthetics of uh of like the first movie to this. That's just mm-hmm. that's kind of it's I think, but that that was also so formative for me that it's just like now like hardwired into my brain. Yeah. But um, but I I also like the uh w- once I kind of it just accepted the the difference in style and approach like this wasn't a huge issue for me and because i wasn't and i i think this might have been just like looking at like the way the wachowski's work had evolved and stuff like that and just going into this i personally was not expecting like a an action extravaganza and like another like freeway chase and stuff like that and so and I think for a lot of people, that is first and foremost what they want from a Matrix thing, and so I I get mm-hmm. people who uh were disappointed there. And, I, um, I think that mischaracterizes. I, I don't want to speak for you, Dave, but I kind of feel like you you're on the same page here. Is it's not that like I oh, I'm not saying everyone that. who didn't like it uh yeah. wanted that. But I, I think it's I, a, I it's think, a different criticism to say it's not it's not that you didn't live up to my expectations of the of the uh, of of having a set piece that rivals that. It's that. You did have set pieces. They just weren't that great. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I think Dave and I are both saying that 
If you want to zag instead of zigging and show us yes. a different kind of movie, do it a hundred percent. Yes, that's that's all I'm asking for. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I feel like if if they had done that, you'd be you guys would also be like, so this is a Matrix movie. No, no action. I, I was on board, dude. In that first, the first half yes. an hour of this movie, I was like, 100%. Yeah. blow my mind right yes. now. Like, yeah. undo the first three films and, yeah. like, you know, fuck mm-hmm. me up. That's yeah. kind of what <laughs> yes. I wanted to. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I, I was like on board with, like, oh my, is this going to be like a talkie where you just reflect? You know, I'm, I'm open mm-hmm. to all of that. Yeah. And, yeah. Me too. And then this movie, I, I think, felt too much pressure to be like this thing that it is mm-hmm. trying to look down upon I don't, or I, I interrogate, don't know. you know? I, I don't yeah. know. Like, I am fully fine with movies trying to be multiple things. I think this comes mm. down to things a lot, too. They've, like, what movies that attempt multiple tones or try to juggle many balls, I want to see how many balls they can juggle, guys, okay? <laughs> like, and I'll say this. Uh, the action scenes aren't, um, aren't too great, you know? But they're not terrible, and I think they are better than the early stuff we got in Reloaded. And I was talking about them before because those were action scenes like the first encounter with Neo Neo and the original agents uh, and the Seraph encounter and everything too. It's like, I understand why they're there. I understand the point of them, but the way they're shot, the way they're choreographed, it felt like it felt like they weren't really trying to do the, much more. It felt like they kind of had to Neo just give Sarah us... The Neo-Seraph fight scene is more beautiful than anything in this film. I agree. I, I agree. I and, and here's the thing. Now, shot. that quote that Patrick shared is really interesting because it's like, maybe the, now, or, or, you know, obviously beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Devin Grosso, you and I disagree on that, and we have different definitions of beauty. I, can, but I, I mean, do think we could, if, we, if we want to do at some point a breakdown <laughs> of that scene, just in terms of the moves and yeah. what people are doing and like how it's shot, I don't compare it to the first Matrix guys because that's really what we're all comparing everything to the brilliance and glorious first Matrix movie. Um, that felt a little underwhelming to me. That's all. Yeah, I'm yeah no. That, well, yeah. that's. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily even d- disagree with that, but I. Th- but I think that Patrick's quote is really interesting because it's basically like yep. the difference in the way the action is shot in this movie is like a reflection of the evolution of the director, right? Mm-hmm. And we might not like the action better, but it is clearly like purposeful. Like they, yeah. the, the director could have done it in the way they did it before, but they didn't. They chose not to do it that way. I, I but, think. I think and, the more yeah. interesting thing to talk about is why it's done the way it is. And I think there are. <laughs> There are some sequences here. They're generally great. Like that that shootout where Morpheus just appears and like he's also now Morpheus that is just strutting. The AI is like, oh, Morpheus, Morpheus is kind of uh, you know, he's he's kind of a show off. I'm gonna, I could really show off. And I love all of his different suits and everything. There's that um the training sequence, that, which is basically that- full Dragon Ball Z. Um, like it it is telling you, like, yes, you know what to expect here, but we're just gonna kind of do it our own way and do it in a different way. But go ahead, Jeff. Well, explain to me why when we revisit the dojo with mm-hmm. not Morpheus and we're literally being placed in the exact same situation again. And I, and I, and I'm with, I'm with the movie. I'm like, okay, you're going to show me that Neo is not going to participate this time. He has learned something. He has, there's something different. He's not going to participate. And then, no, we just have a very lackluster version of what was an incredible scene in the first movie. We just have this kind of crappy version of that. I mean, for what? Again, the thing I'm asking you guys is to look at what the movie is doing and what well, the I'm movie is doing. I'm asking you to explain it to me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. What What is the function of having a shittier version of the dojo? Well, scene? Like, listen. What does it you, say about the thing? If, if the all movie? you're doing is being like, oh, this is a dumber version of that. 
This is a lesser version of that. I think that is, you are immediately, that is your framing device. That is how you're talking about it. Um, that whole sequence was, this is a Neo who already knows something is definitely up. He tried to kill himself, you know, at one point to escape this world. Um, I think he's on a different level in terms of understanding than the Neo who is just like, oh, I know Kung Fu for the first time and I'm going to show off. This is a guy who's like, he is getting that realization. I think in that fight, it's like, I saved humanity guys like do we have to do this shit again which is why he just it, it, blows up the room he just blows it all up he blows up the simulations like i we have done this we've done this before you want that scene again no i'm gonna blow this all up i wish i was able to see the movie for a second time before you know before this because my first time watching it was i was just kind of like blown away by a lot of what it's doing i totally agree with you guys and i said this up front i don't think the action is generally as good as the first uh trilogy but a lot of it is purposeful. You know, they, I, I think that whole big thing, like when the Merovingian appears again, and I would just wanted to kind of clap at that introduction. Um, that is a big chaotic scene. And I think like there, there's a lot of cool choreography there and it gives a lot of people chances to shine. It's just not what we're used to, you know, it's different. And that's the thing. Like it'll either work for you or it doesn't. Also, well, let, and me, it, let me say, let me quote another Wachowski quote, by the way. Okay. Um, Patrick, since you're bringing this up, I, I just want to take a step back and say, you know, this is a pretty intense conversation, but I'm enjoying having it. And also, the Wachowskis themselves have said in the past that any great work of art will pr- pr- provoke a conversation. And here's what they said. I'm, I'm quoting from both of them right now in this uh, interview they gave a while ago. Quote, after each movie, our parents would ask what we thought and tell us what they thought. And it was a dialogue. As a kid, you might not understand something, but you were intrigued. They would show us that experiencing art was about abandoning your own perspective and yourself. And one way of understanding is by reaching out to people and having a dialogue about a movie, which sounds radical now, I suppose. But any work of art that doesn't inspire that dinner conversation is not much of a work of art. Otherwise, there's no, really no value to the work, end quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, where this whole this whole franchise is a triumph. Because yeah. you have that first movie, which comes out and blows everybody's mind. And each subsequent movie is is really trying to do something different. And mm-hmm. yeah. I honestly yeah. am only disappointed in this movie insofar as it doesn't seem to do that 100%. Is yes. that it seems to... Cut, agree completely with everything you're saying, Jeff. Yeah. 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 Anyway, Patrick, I, I think you were about to say something earlier, but I, I just wanted to say, I know we're all like having an intense convo about this, but I think it is a testament to the fact that, yeah. you know, they, they tried to do some interesting things in this movie. And uh, it, it is a polarizing movie. And some people I saw on Twitter were saying, like, I don't want to watch a Matrix sequel that's not polarizing. You know, so there is some mm-hmm. inherent value in the fact that it is provoking this much conversation. Um, but Patrick, any any further thoughts on this? Oh, I I, I, I think I was going to say something about the uh, the action a minute ago, but I don't know yeah. if we're moving on. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, go actually, ahead. Go ahead. We can I'll, finish I'll, say, I'll, yeah. I'll be I'll. I'll we be don't concise. know how to move on in this show. <laughs> I, it, it, it's a struggle. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, obvi- like, you know, I feel like while we all, even even Devendra and me who, who love the movie, you know, you know, ad- admit uh, the action is not, you know, what it is in, in the first movie I, or in, in the even in the, the, the original trilogy. I will say so, for instance, um, every so often, maybe a couple times a year, I will just rewatch the uh, the Chateau fight from Reloaded mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. on YouTube. So uh, good. Amazing really fight fun. sequence. Yep. Here's the thing about that scene. 
<laughs> uh, there are basically no stakes in that scene. There is no tension in that scene. That's it, the whole it, first it, half of Reloaded, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, it serves no narrative function because Neo can just uh, fly away or like explode people's code and stuff like that. It is purely just like a a a a pretty ballet we're watching. There isn't really a story happening. And um and Ooh, so and I I like it ballet from Patrick Willems <laughs> and uh, I, actually that's a disservice to, to ballet because ballet yeah is ballet tells story. stories bro <laughs> yeah uh, this is this is just a pretty dance that doesn't really mean much um uh, but I still like watching it I despite you know the action not being as like as you know elaborately designed uh and uh and you know and and not quite as cool uh like in you know especially once it's it's reaching its like final act and uh and just everything involving like you know the motorcycle and stuff like that and just uh when it really comes down to just like neo trying to get trinity out Mm -hmm. i am so much more invested Mm -hmm. in that action than i am in much of the action scenes in reloaded in particular Mm -hmm. uh because it's like even if like the action itself is not as cool uh like the the story i am so emotionally engaged in the story because the thing that like i kind of realized watching this movie is that i had despite you know in particular loving the first movie and being like mixed to positive on the sequels but like fascinated by them i didn't realize quite how much i was i cared about neo and trinity absolutely and i just like yeah. and i and by the end i'm just like i love I I love them so much. I I would die for these people. Like like I'm look. I'll be I'll be upfront about it. Uh, when Trinity said, "My name is Trinity," I cried in the theater, and I mm. really I don't cry at a lot of movies, and I really did not ever expect this one would do that for me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was like it was it was a really interesting experience. And like all I can say is, um, it worked for me emotionally. It worked for me intellectually. And uh, I got so much out of it, and I'm excited to watch it like three more times. Mm-hmm. I think that's I, a testament to how good Carrie Ann Moss is. Yeah, she's so she's good. really good. amazing, incredible. Really Why good. has she been wasted for 20 years? I don't know. Yeah. She generates. I mean, I, I'm a Keanu fan, but let's be honest, she generates that chemistry. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that is it yes. is it is generated by Keanu Reeves, but I believe the chemistry between these two people. And I did in every movie. And I think in each instance, it's Carrie Ann Moss doing the heavy lifting on that, on that front. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. I mean, we're running pretty long on this thing. There's a lot to say. A couple of things. Yeah, go ahead. Let's talk about a couple of things. The heist sequence to get Trinity out. Thrilling. I was like, yes, we are, we are now oceans 11 ing in the matrix universe. Please give me more Priyanka. Yeah. Priyanka Chopra. Um, that whole sequence I thought was really, really well done. But I really love at the at the end that we finally get we get Trinity basically on the same level as Neo, and it turns out like it is their their union basically is it's like the uh, Neo, is Steve the Rogers one. getting the Thor hammer basically. At, yep, you know, yeah. It was uh, it was fantastic. Like I honestly teared up a little when that happened because I was like. Oh, they're finally giving her more, right? Like Neo's more than just a. Uh, ne- it's not just Neo being the one. It's not just this one dude who's going to save everybody. It's really about the power of their union, which has really powered the entire like the, the dramatic like conclusions of every one of the Matrix movies. Comes down to Neo and Trinity. 
So I'm glad that they at least made good to this. And uh, now instead of dying with rebar in her chest, um, <laughs> Trinity gets to fly. How does she never do her Trinity move though in this whole movie? She's she's I, older, man. I, can't I, I do that. think that is a they I can't move very cool, much. That yeah. is a nice idea and and mm-hmm. well said, Devendra. That wait, like, which Trinity move? Do you do like you the, mean the, the Trinity flip move? Kick, the uh, crane kick, I think. Is okay. Uh, yeah, well, well uh, th- there's also the um, the scorpion kick, right? She does that mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah, but, she does that. But that yeah, the, the, mo- the moment where the, you know, the camera pauses and we rotate around her as she hovers in the air. Right, uh, right, right. I kept waiting for that to happen. I was like, that's the mo- moment when Trinity's Trinity. And then it didn't happen. Um, anyway. Uh, Devinger, anything else you wanted to hit us up with? I mean, I, I would call the Trinity move Carrie on Moss getting on a motorcycle. <laughs> and we got a lot of that, and yeah. I uh, I really enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, I just want to say, like, I, I enjoyed everybody in this movie. Like, Jonathan Groff, I I kind of had a sense and that he would be the Smith uh, character at this point. I think it is very, um, it's very interesting to see him kind of embody that character now because, again the bad guy isn't necessarily, you know, the the corporate drone who is ruling your life the bad guy can look like a startup bro, you know, <laughs> and he kind of gets that. I never got his whole like uh, nefarious Mr. Anderson stuff down very well. Like I, I don't think he really worked well there, but the, the bit where they basically had to team up a little, I thought was really interesting. And Neil Patrick Harris, I think is a good addition to this universe because his uh, smarminess is just like perfect. Here. Yeah. So I, I really solid. enjoyed that. I and, Big, I, and I like the mm-hmm. core idea of what Neil Patrick Harris character trying to say, mm-hmm. right? Which is basically yeah. at the end of matrix revolutions, it's like, Hey, um, uh, people can be free if they want to, even though the machines broke that treaty, apparently. And, uh, and you know, basically, like, we're going to try to come to peace. And the, the question that Neil Patrick Harris' character proposes in this movie is, what if people didn't want to get free? Right. right? Like, what if they were offered the choice explicitly and they j- chose not to? And that's a really terrifying idea and certainly one that resonates, given everything we've seen from society over the course of the last year and a half. Right? Yes. And mm-hmm. so... It's directly I do, I, speaking to that. It's, I mean, right. I, 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 that's how I heard it is like yeah, all yeah. these people that are so willing to give up democracy, you yeah. know? Uh, so, yeah, there's many things about the movie that like it introduces all these ideas. Like, Ooh, that's uh, that's interesting. Like, I like that. That, you know, um, I just in my opinion, it didn't follow through with them in a way that I, I would have liked. Um, yeah. But the there, Matrix, as usual, has more throwaway ideas. Than <laughs> most films have ideas, you right? Know? Right, and so you got to give a credit for that. You got to give a credit for that. So, um, anything else, or shall we wrap it up? Uh, uh, can, can I we, just we mention? Go ahead. Yep. I, I yeah. just uh, we've brought it up before, but one f- last mention of Sabebe. Sabebe, I uh, love. Who's just I love Sabebe. I love a legend. Something we were. <laughs> he's great. I want more of him. Um, something we were kind of talking about is like the. Uh, the ultimate conclusion of revolutions um, doesn't really hold, right? Like, look at the way we are now. Look at how we are dependent on our machines and our smartphones. And we kind of always have been being able to tell this union, you know, the idea that oh, the machines can be like, yeah, we want to help humanity too. I thought that was really cool as well. So I'm glad that we're getting kind of more of that rather than the binary humans only versus machines. All right. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our review of The Matrix Resurrections. And at the end of the day, it's still pretty impressive that Lana Wachowski made a movie. Yeah, so, I can't argue with that. that. She made a movie. Cannot, yeah. def, I feel that really a lot in this instance specifically. Um, and I don't, I'm not, I'm being completely genuine when I say that. So, all right, folks, 
I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from Varsity Blue. Also check him out at The Midnight, uh, which is his band. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. And our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Patrick H. Willems, man. Thank you so much for joining us. It is an honor that you have decided to grace this podcast with one of your first public opinions of The Matrix Resurrections. We really appreciate it, dude. Guys, it it has been such a pleasure. Seriously. So uh, I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation. And um, and yeah, just thank you so much for having me. This was great. I, I hope we did not yuck your yum, as uh, Jeff likes to say, um, yeah. and that we were able to have a... Uh, a spirited debate about. If anything, film. I think we're like an inspiration to the world for, <laughs> for having, yeah. you know, as much as like I feel like Devinder and I are like largely on the same page. But like, let's say three, you know, different takes on the movie, and this was pretty civil. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I would say that's the case. Uh, so next week. I think what we're going to be doing is doing our top 10 movies of the year. I think that is the current plan. Uh, still finalizing, but... So uh, much to watch that, between that now and then. That is the current Dave. plan, There's yeah. So so much to watch. Yeah. Between so now and then. Uh, that, that's, our, that's our plan. We I reserve the right to change it, uh, but I think that's where it's heading right now. But we hope that wherever you are, you are having a safe and healthy holiday season. Thank you so much for the amazing year the Filmcast has had in 2021. And we'll see you next week and next year.